Hey guys, welcome back to a spooktacular episode of Fanholes Podcast. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight. And joining me tonight in the firehouse are two, count them, two of my extreme co-hosts. Why don't you guys give an extreme shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight. Derek, your methods are sloppy. You are a poor scientist. <laughs> hey man, I'm a scientist. Hey, this is Justin, and I am truly, truly outrageous and truly, truly extreme. <laughs> extreme! So in case you haven't figured it out, we are here to celebrate the feature film release of the super-duper controversial, We may our heads may implode by the time we finally all see it, if we do all see it, the Columbia Pictures release of the Ghostbusters uh, redo, remake, whatever. I'm, I'm violating all kinds of uh, rules and regulations of uh, the personal Derek Geneva convention. So I, But we will be watching this, me and Justin for sure, and talking about this in the second half of the podcast. But due to timey-wimey shenanigans and our desire to also talk all things Ghostbusters, the other first half of the show that was suggested by our own Justin was to discuss the animated series from 1997 called Extreme Ghostbusters. And uh, just speaking for myself, other than one of the episodes that sort of had a crossover with the original Real Ghostbusters, I and, and I only watched that, I think, because of this podcast, like when we last did our big Ghostbusters show long time ago on fan holes. And, and so for me, this was kind of a, uh, kind of a, a catch up kind of, you know, uh, you know, do my homework, you know, kind of thing for this, this podcast and everything. But the show basically ran for a few months, I guess it was in syndication. So I imagine it ran for a lot longer than that, but obviously all the new episodes ran from, uh, September to December in 1997. And what's kind of interesting is, like, I was kind of surprised and shocked to see that some of the original websites from back in 1997 are still up and available because they're, like, yeah. archived and everything. Like, I don't know, have you guys seen this? Like, I, I was just, I for some reason, yeah. I was, like, fascinated by the fact that, like, something like this, like, somebody preserved, like, these these websites where now it's at like extremeghostbusters.org and it's for clearly it's for a, a property that is, you know, not, you know, obviously it's not around now. It's not something they're trying to sell or whatever, but basically like on those, those URLs, like they've got stuff for all the, the characters and like, you know, basically like what we like to talk about on this show, which is like the, well, at least I, I get amused by it, the whole character breakdown for each of the cast members and everything like that. And I thought maybe what we could do to start off with is just to explain like Extreme Ghostbusters is sort of a sequel to the real Ghostbusters cartoon. It's pretty much the future of the real Ghostbusters cartoon, and it takes place within that same universe. Like, the original real Ghostbusters, pretty much all of them except for Egon are retired, and Egon actually is sort of retired, and he's a college professor, and when ghosts start returning to the New York area, he puts together a group of some of his best and brightest students, and they become the extreme Ghostbusters. And, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, I, I think it's kind of quite a dark 
show, I mean, for, for a cartoon of the time, you know, but I guess because it's in syndication, you know, maybe it wasn't, you know, kind of, kind of like how when, when Batman moved from like Fox to the kids WB, it could get away with more stuff. And I feel like maybe this was one of those shows. Like I, I thought I'd kind of ask you guys, cause I'm, I'm not really good to, to point to as far as like nostalgia and, and reminiscing about when this show was on the air. Like what network, do you guys remember seeing it on in syndication? Like, was it was it the Kids WV? Was it UPN? Was it like some other syndicated channel that you guys had locally? See, I never watched it on a, a network. Um, I think I may have told this story, or maybe I told it in relation to another series. But like back in the day when everyone had those giant satellite dishes in their backyard that would turn, like you know, there there was a guide, a TV guide, like publication for that it was called onsat and in the back of onsat was a section called special feeds and basically um these were like transmissions i don't i'm not really 100 percent on this but i think they were like directly from like studios or something because they didn't have commercials and at the end uh, like like I, I, this is how i would watch deep space nine i'd watch it saturday at like 4 p.m and there would be like no commercials, and near the end of the episode, you'd have like the three teasers for the next episode. So you'd have like a 30 second teaser, 10 second, and 5 second. And it, it was also like a week ahead of, you know, like what you might see on your local Fox station. So like I would always be talking about like the next week's episode, or, or like I could spoil a cliffhanger for my friends, and that they were like, How are you getting these like a week in advance? But I would always scour the feeds because sometimes, um, shows would change and it wouldn't be listed in the guide so i was constantly like going through those channels and those feeds and i remember one day i saw something listed called extreme ghostbusters and i was like well i know what extreme or i know about gi joe extreme but like what what's extreme ghostbusters like i've never heard of this so i turned it over there and watched it and like that's that's how i watched it and the only time i've ever seen it on a network is I know it was on Toon Disney for a while, and it's, you know, I guess it's like we, we should go ahead and say, like, this has never been released on DVD. So basically, the only way to watch it is to watch those Toon Disney rips, like, on YouTube or to torrent them or something. Yeah, I, as far as I know, like, that's accurate, especially for U.S. I know there's there were some VHS releases, it looks like, of, like, yeah. certain volumes and stuff. And then the only other thing I could see is that there were some kind of, like, European you know, region three or whatever it is, releases of certain episodes and stuff like that. But yeah, unfortunately, like this is not a show that is, you know, on its way to DVD anytime soon. I started wondering because it was airing on Toon Disney. I was like, is this one of those like ABC family things where like all the Marvel cartoons where they're being like held hostage by the mouse or whatever? Like, I don't know, you know, like, I don't know who you, you'd think Sony would have the rights to it, but maybe because... You know, they're, they're, I, you know, I'm not exactly sure where the rights for the Extreme Ghostbusters distribution in the U.S. fall, but, you know, uh, unfortunately, yeah, it's not something that is, is widely available as far as, like, you know, through legitimate venues or anything like that, which, you know, is unfortunate and everything. I mean, I guess I'm curious about Mike. Like, did you watch this when it was coming on the air or? Yeah. Um, okay. I, I watched it in syndication. Like it used to be on in the mornings before. Like I think it was like on Fox, 
and okay. you know before Fox Kids and stuff and like I used to watch it you know alongside Beast Wars and like you know stuff like that so okay. uh yeah I mean I don't really have any like memory of like discovering it really it was just something that happened to be on and I was like oh I used to watch Ghostbusters like I'll watch this and I ended up like you know I liked it like and then for this episode, I did rewatch like about a dozen episodes, and like, yeah, like I, I think it holds up. Like, you know, it's, yeah, it's I, uh, despite what you might, you know, despite what you might think when you say the name, it's like it's not actually a bad show. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I I don't know what I expected really. Like, I I knew I enjoyed the the crossover episode, which was the one I had watched way back when for the show, but I had never. I mean, even when I, I knew of the show, but I don't think it was it, it was not a case. It, it was kind of like my story about Beast Wars. If I but only if I had never bothered to watch the pilot, like if I had just kind of cut it off at like, what did truck not monkey? And then I just never watched it. You know what I mean? As opposed to trying it, forgetting about it for a while and then coming back to it when you know, certain nostalgia feels popped up into the show. Like, for me, it was just kind of like I looked at all the, the cast of characters, I think, and I was just kind of like, oh, okay, well, this is like some new fangled generation version of, of the Ghostbusters or whatever, and much like Saved by the Bell, the new class or whatever, it's like I watched all the original Saved by the Bells and loved them, and I've never seen one episode of the new class. Do you know what I mean? So it was just like, I think it was one of those things where I figured, well, the Saved by the Bell was for me and the new class was for some other, you know, generation or whatever. And that's kind of how I looked at this. But I, I knew we were going to be discussing this in detail tonight. So, I mean, I did kind of more than a dozen episodes, you know, I did kind of go through the whole like, I think it's like 40 or something episodes of, of Extreme Ghostbusters. And, I, I mean, I think they're of varying quality. But one thing I thought was interesting, and I, I don't know if you guys had thought about this. I know before we started the show, we were talking about the animation studios and the similarities in style and tone to series that would come either before or after this. But, like, you know, Men in Black or Godzilla the series. And I, I think those tones are kind of obvious. But given that this is more about, you know, haunted houses and creatures and kind of the supernatural type element, you know, one, one thing I did think of when when I was watching this, and, and it's obviously not as extreme as, and I know that's kind of funny, Extreme Ghostbusters is not as extreme as what I'm about to bring up, but I did have flashes of like, man, this feels kind of to me a bit like HBO Spawn animated series. Like, not to the point where it's not like people are running around naked or there's a lot of blood and guts or anything like that, but I just felt like the tone, like, sometimes there are spooky things that happen and you kind of went, oh, holy crap, is that person dead? Or, you know, like, like even if the person didn't turn out to be dead, it certainly led you to believe that they might be dead or something like that. And so there were certainly like ominous tones and, and uh, the, the creatures were of a design usually that you were kind of like, wow, these are, I mean, you, you'd think like, and I think the showrunners were, were fond of saying like they were trying to target, you know, more adolescent teen audience members, even though it seemed like, I guess in syndication, they ended up trying to plug it to like, preschoolers right before they went to school or something which seems like geez like you know you give them like nightmares or something like that but i'm just kind of curious like what you guys think of the whole animation style and tone and if you thought of that 
spawn connection at all, or or at least the the fact that the the creatures were pretty heavy duty for uh, uh, you know what is uh, essentially like a children's cartoon. Yeah, I think the um, you know the, the animation is definitely different from the original series. Like while I like the series, though you know the first few times I watched it, I think it took me a while to get used to the the animation style. Like. You know, sometimes it's sometimes they do, they do the you know the mood lighting or shading or coloring a little like too much, and it's like there are a lot of scenes where everyone just looks kind of like pale gray or they're just everything's just kind of murky. Um, but as far as like you know characters and stuff, I think like the the ghosts and demons, I think they're a lot more horrifying or you know uh, spooky looking. I guess like. A lot of times in the original series, um, as best I can remember, it's, it's been a while since I like rewatched it. But you know, a lot of those bad guys were kind of silly or goofy. I mean, there were you know, I said this in the, our first Ghostbusters show years ago. But like, there are, are definitely a lot of like terrifying characters in the original series. Like the Boogeyman, like I, he always creeped me out, man. And like the Sandman and you know the Grundle, which we'll talk about later. Like those are definitely creepy, but like. I feel like some of the ghosts and demons, like the the ick or the horror factor, was definitely like jumped up to like to you know to the extreme level, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Like this show and and, and like Men in Black had some really like creepy, like pu- pushing the envelope, like sort of creatures, like for a Saturday morning cartoon show or whatever. There was also like some jokes that like. They did. They didn't really register, I guess, at the time. But like rewatching this, they did. Like, yeah. In in the pilot episode, like you know, Kylie becomes uh, possessed by this demon, and she comes to Eduardo. She's like, Eduardo, you know, I know you want me, kiss me. And then like the other guys come in, they're like, you know, like you know, Eduardo, stop me. He's like, what man? Is she legal? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that that started laughing. I was like, man, I can't believe that, that flew over my head when I watched it originally. Yeah, so. Well, speaking of, of Kylie and Eduardo, why don't we, we go down and do the, the character breakdown so people who haven't seen the show kind of know who we're talking about and everything. And I'll just, I'll, I'll basically, I, I kind of wrote some notes for myself, but mainly I'm going to I'm gonna sort of read out like some of these funny character breakdowns that, that, that we're usually amused by when we, when we read them out loud and stuff like that. And obviously, like, you, you have to understand, I think, I, I mean, I, I think this probably goes without saying, but, like, this, this was the era of, you know, where there was a black Vulcan, a Mexican Klingon, and a Mexican actor playing a Native American on Star Trek. So, like, this was obviously, like, you know, heavily focused and tailored to, you know, fit sort of a, you know, what, what most people would label sort of a, a politically correct set of characters that were a conglomeration and everything. And, you know, the, it's interesting listening to the showrunners, like reading all the, the articles and different things that I did in preparation for this show. But, you know, a lot of them would either argue or just kind of kindly point out that, you know, they, they weren't trying to specifically target that per se, but they were trying to treat these guys as like a superhero team. And I guess, you know, if you look at something like X-Men, like obviously they're, they're, they have a large variety of you know, characters from different cultural backgrounds. And also it's by design that, you know, you've got a strong guy who's very tall and buff and you've got a tiny guy who's angry and grumpy. You know, you've got the straight laced guy who's like the leader, you know, things like that. And so I think that's part of what they were going for as well, to have 
different character dynamics that all formed a team, but so that you could sort of tell all these different characters apart from one another. But having said that, we'll go into the the character breakdowns. Um, The first character that I'm going to talk about is Garrett Miller. And Garrett Miller is voiced by Jason Marsden. And while that name might not seem familiar to you, I I figured I'd just throw it out there that, you know, I I wanted to go down some of his greatest hits and everything. But Jason Marsden, you may recognize his voice as the young Clark Kent from Superman the Animated Series. I was thinking Mike might know him because I I don't watch the show, but Mike might know him from Boy Meets World because apparently he was on a number of those uh, Boy Meets World episodes. Um, He was Richie, a.k.a. Gear, Static Shock's partner on the Static Shock animated series. He was Duke in G.I. Joe Renegades, my favorite G.I. Joe series, (laughs) not. Um, And he was Cade Burns, who you might remember from our discussion on Transformers Tuesdays about Transformers Rescue Bots. So he was Heatwave's human partner. He's like the oldest Burns brother. Um, he was uh, Im- Impulse on Young Justice, too. Yeah, yeah. No, there there were plenty of things. I just tried to pick, like, his greatest hits. But, yeah, yeah. he's got a, a plethora of, of sort of roles that, that he's probably well-known for and everything. And the showrunner that I was talking about from all these interviews, I thought I'd just uh, sort of read this out because I thought it was kind of interesting. And I don't know, maybe it reflects and, and will foreshadow maybe, you know, my thoughts on, on who my favorite of the, the new crew is or whatever. But Bob Higgins was one of the showrunners. And th- he's being interviewed, basically, because I think they were they were honored for this character. And, um, you know, basically, this this character is wheelchair-bound. And so they were they were talking about that and talking about like how they had focus groups of young children that were watching the early episodes of the show. And they talked about how they found that like Garrett seemed to be one of the most popular characters with the kids. And, and you know, they kind of put the question like, well, which of these characters would you guys want to be? And, and he's saying, you know, oh, well, when we asked, they all wanted to be Garrett because they wanted to be the guy that does all the crazy things. They wanted to be the guy they thought was the leader, and they all kind of saw him as the leader of this group. So that was like a direct quote from the showrunner and everything. And then, of course, the the character breakdowns were were cribbing from that extremeghostbusters.org website that's archived and everything. But just to give you guys an idea of what they were kind of going for on the show, Garrett has sat in a wheelchair for as long as he can remember. Rather than being hamstrung by his handicap, however, Garrett has managed to lead the life of an adrenaline junkie. Garrett is one of the two or three best wheelchair basketball players in the boroughs. He has a smart mouth, an overly hearty appetite, where does he put it, and a constant patter. Goals. Garrett's intended college major is physical therapy and or sports medicine. When he talks about, quote-unquote, shaking off his handicap, Garrett knows there are many others for whom the same seems impossible. Garrett's status, he signed on for Egon Spangler's class in order to hear the tall tales of modern-day cowboys. Little did he know he'd soon be Wyatt Earping himself. Unfortunately, Garrett craves such adventure even when finding it means taking ill-advised risks. 
So that's basically the long and short of Garrett's character breakdown. I know that I'm staring at an avatar with Mike, and he's got an avatar of Garrett, and I have an avatar of Garrett, so I don't know if we're secret brothers and we both like Garrett, or if Mike just likes the idea that Garrett is extreme and he's photoshopped that Mountain Dew can in place of the the uh, proton guns, like, charger pack or whatever, and he's just having a fun with it. But I, I figure I'll ask him first, like, do, do you have some thoughts about Garrett? Is Garrett one of the guys that you kind of felt like he spoke to you, kind of like all these kids in the focus group? Or um, I like Garrett. I don't, I don't know if he's my favorite character of the four of them, but I don't know. Like, a, there's some. it's funny because, like, I asked my friend who's, like, a like huge Ghostbusters fan, like, what he thought of this show. And, I, like, we were kind of talking about it earlier this week. And uh, he, he goes, like, ah, yes, Garrett, like, the human battering ram. Like, like in a, he, I, I was kind of like, yeah, he does kind of use his wheelchair to, like, barrel over things and stuff. And... Uh, I was just, I, I just kind of think of him like Joe Swanson from like Family Guy or something, where he's like, you know, my legs don't work, but I've got a strong upper body, you know. So like, I, I don't know, like, I feel like that's almost like, I, I mean, I get it why it's like, you know, they should be like applauded for like, you know, doing stuff like that, but sometimes it's a little like overdone, I guess. Like yeah, maybe it's going I, I a think, little I too think, far. Like I think there's a fine balance. It's funny because I was thinking, to be quite honest, until I read some of these interviews, I was kinda like I don't think any of these guys writing this show have ever been in a wheelchair before. Like I, I you really yeah. get that vibe sometimes. And I, I think I read something where they're like, Oh, we consulted someone, you know, and he signed off on it, you know, but I, I feel like it's that kind of thing of like, and this is not to put aspersions or labels on anybody in one way or the other, but it's just one of those things where like, okay, if you've got an action star and he jumps out of a car, right. It's like, it's not good for anybody to jump out of a car, but then you've got a guy in a wheelchair who jumps out of a car and you're just kind of like, wow. Like, like sometimes it felt like he was like extreme. And like, you know, the, the showrunner was saying he did all these crazy things like jump out of a moving car and somehow he'd magically like land in one piece and keep rolling down the hill or whatever. And then in other cases, it seemed like they'd treat it sort of, semi-reasonably and realistically where like okay he's a good athlete he can play basketball but when it came time to like you know for the ghostbusters to walk up like seven flights of stairs it's like sorry guys i gotta take the elevator you know like and you're just kind of like oh well that you know you're like that kind of makes sense and like sometimes i'm sitting there thinking like you know these ghosts clearly are not politically correct because they're just like fuck you garrett and they fucking throw him out of the wheelchair like <laughs> every chance they get you know and it's like one of those things where, my friend my you know, my friend also used to say like he was like man like half of ghostbusters is running away from things and they they introduced a character who cannot run away from things so like yeah, he, yeah. he's always been kind of down on garrett but yeah, I think I think there's a balance to it. I don't know. So, some episodes, I think they strike it well. And other episodes, I think that somebody was asleep at the wheel. And like I was saying, like, clearly there there aren't a, a, too many writers on the show that have actually been in a wheelchair. So I don't know how authentic it's going to be. It's, it seems like it's more leaning towards 
inspirational than authentic, you know, like, like the, if there's a balance, it seems like it, 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 you know, whether it's fortunate or not, it, it sort of leans more towards the inspirational than the accurate or authentic, you know, but I'm, I'm kind of curious, Justin, like, do you have any, like, specific thoughts on Garrett? Do you want to offer any first impressions or, or kind of like based on what we were saying about the character background or what me and uh, Mike were discussing? To paraphrase Kitty Pride, Garrett is a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> like that—that's how I felt about him when I was, uh, you know, originally watching the series and you know revisiting here the past like week or so. Like that's—that's that's still my opinion. Like I've never really been crazy about the character. I, I mean, uh, you, you know, part of me like feels bad for not liking him, like for thinking he's a jerk. But I mean, you know, like I, that's how I see him. Like he's a huge jerk. Like. I, like I, I just, I just like before this podcast started. I think I described him as aggressively nineties. Like he's like, yeah, yeah he's, he's just like, I don't know. He's like Flash Thompson, but not like a like. He's like a, I don't know, like a good natured Flash Thompson, like like with Wait. all the obnoxiousness, but none of the like, I don't know, uh, none of the dirt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I feel like. Just about every show, whether it was animated or otherwise in the 90s, had characters who were full of, like, you know, like, the the 90s attitude of being, like, a wise-ass and constantly, like, being rude and making jokes and stuff. And, you know, you, you get you get a ton of that from Garrett. You also get a lot of it from Eduardo, but I think it, it, you get a way lot more from Garrett. Like, he just, I don't know, he just always seems like a huge jerk and, I mean... I don't know. I, I just never really been crazy about the character. That's interesting because I, I guess I guess I took it more the way that Mike did in terms of the Flash Thompson thing. I guess, but but I guess Flash Thompson's name can mean different things to different people. To some people, Flash Thompson is like a horrible human being, but to like me and Mike, like we were kind of like, oh no, Flash is Flash is good people. You know, like he might be kind yeah. of a jerk or whatever. But and that, that's kind of how I feel about Garrett. I mean, there there it's like there there's interesting things where they hit you over the head, like in the like say the episode with the golem or whatever, and and you know the Ghostbusters are hunting down the golem, and basically it's like Garrett is is hooking up with some kids from his old neighborhood or whatever, but it turns out they're the ones who are vandalizing this, you know, synagogue and, and causing the golem to like attack all these people and everything. And it's like, you, you get the idea, like he's all on board for it when it's all about like doing crazy stuff that he shouldn't be able to do, like hang glide or bungee jump or whatever. And he thinks that's all these guys are about just kind of doing semi illegal adrenaline rush kind of things. But when, you know, it's, it's kind of like the idea of like point break or something, you know, and it's like, but once it gets into like, oh, wait, you're you're actually going to like, you know, vandalize this church, basically. And he's like, then then he's basically like, no, man, guys, this is wrong, you know, and you're kind of like, oh, OK, well, he's not, you know, it, it's not like that takes precedence over, you know, something that is is right or whatever. So, you know, at, at certain points, I think I was kind of like, yeah, he might be a little too extreme for his own good. But I, I think I guess I, I'm going to you know put my cards on the table before we finish doing the, the character roundup. But I mean, I, I think of the new guys, it's like for, for me and, and maybe this also speaks to the whole thing of and I know we've had this discussion countless times before, but it's kind of funny of, of all the new characters. I'm like, I think like, I'm not a goth chick. I'm not, you know, a uh, uh, Latino, Lothario, like, you know, cool guy. Like, and I'm I'm not a studious 
black guy who's super cool with cars. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, okay, well, the person I probably can relate to most is the smart-ass jerk, you know, <laughs> who's got something to prove, you know? So I'm like, I guess that's who, who speaks to me the most, you know? I mean, other than Egon, who me and him are about the same age in this show, and I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. But other than that, like, that's that's kind of what I what I, I keyed in on, you know? So that's that's kind of how I, I, I kind of describe my, my feelings towards Garrett, basically. All right, I changed my mind. Derek Crabb is a huge jerk. <laughs> Third is a huge jerk. So, so we'll move on and we'll go to the next character on my list, which is Kylie Griffin. And this is voiced, this character is voiced by Tara Strong, who is actually credited on this show as Tara Sharon Doff. So that's before she switched her stage name and everything. I mean, I, I guess the most obvious thing to mention is just like Kylie is kind of a goth chick. I mean, she also voiced Raven in Teen Titans, who was kind of like a goth girl. But she's pretty well known for being Batgirl, and she's sort of the honorary. She got the torch passed to her from Arlene Sorkinson to be uh, everybody's favorite Joker girlfriend, Harley Quinn. You know, so, like, there's there's a, a lot of well-known characters. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and list, like, all the roles she's ever voiced because her, her list of credits is pretty endless as far as voice acting goes. But I just wanted to throw out some stuff in case, you know, people might, you know, recognize some of the big famous ones in animation and stuff like that. I guess what I'll do before I go into some other stuff that I had written down here is some of her background notes. I'll, I'll go ahead and, and read her character breakdown. Kylie is so darn smart that her peers used to dismiss her as a quote-unquote brain, but now they dismiss her as a quote-unquote freak, whereas Kylie used to bury herself in Melville and Miller. Recently, she's taken to memorizing books of incantations as well. Kylie is independent, but woefully alone, especially since the death of her beloved grandmother one year ago. Shortly after the funeral, Kylie swore Grandma Rose, quote-unquote, visited her in a dream. Kylie's parents scoffed, but Kylie resolved to speak with her grandmother again someday. Talents. Kylie's growing knowledge of all things paranormal is nearly encyclopedic, but her knowledge of herself is minimal. As a result, Kylie rarely places herself in social situations and is typically the last one to speak unless provoked. Status. When Kylie learned that the legendary Egon Spangler would be orating this semester, she veered from her classic lit concentration and grabbed her notebook. Kylie is searching for answers, for meaning, for a cosmic plan. In the meantime, she suffers fools and non-believers lightly. So that's Kylie's character background. I guess I'll, I'll throw it to uh, Justin, since I do see an avatar of Kylie in Mr. Egon Spangler's class staring me down. And I, I, I'm guessing since he's, you know, he's also maybe burying himself in Melville and Miller, that maybe maybe he, he likes Kylie the best. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny you said you're, you're not a goth girl. I mean, neither am I, but she is the character that, like, I was drawn to and identified with the most, uh, you know, like her... You know, what you just read in her background kind of, like, speaks to mine a little bit. Like, I, I was always kind of, like, the guy who was, like, you know, kind of quiet in the corner, like, reading, reading like, books off to himself. And then, like, you know, when 
when a teenager's year, when a teenager's like, when those times like kicked in, you kind of became like, you know, weird and awkward like everyone. But, you know, what, I, I never like tried to like emulate that, you know, goth style of dress. Like I always dressed kind of like a, like a slacker, I guess, you know, like just a t-shirt and, you know, a flannel shirt or something like, you know, also totally 90s kind of thing there. But like, yeah, I, I always like, I always liked her. I She just, just like her attitude and the way she was like, you know, she was obviously like kind of like infatuated with Egon, but not like in any kind of like, you know, way that was like, you know, anything other than like teacher and student. And I always liked her like, her back and forth with um, Eduardo. Like, I was always kind of wondering, like, is this going to be one of those things where, like, you know, the two characters, like, meet, they, like, you know, they dislike each other, but they, like, tease each other over the course of a series, and then they end up, like, getting together. Like, I was always kind of, like, wondering that. And then after the series ended, I was, like, kind of wondering. I was, like, well, I wonder what would have happened to these characters. Like, would they have, like, would they have got together and like you know broken up, or would they have like never like took a chance on it? Like I was always kind of kind of wondering about that. I think Kylie certainly like piques the interest of of a lot of creative types and everything because like I know we were talking about this before we got on air, but you were asking me like where my avatar came from, and I told you that I I got a cool looking group shot from DeviantArt, and that there was. You know, I mean, once you kind of get through all the sort of tawdry stuff that's there, like we were discussing, like there, there's lots of cool art there and everything. And some of it's quite cute, whether it is, you know, just cute pictures of, of you know, Eduardo and Kylie maybe giving each other a kiss on the cheek or something like that. But there, there was this funny thing that I saw where it was like this picture of like the real Ghostbusters and the extreme Ghostbusters and they're at like this reunion party at a hotel and I guess like Slimer ate a cake that Janine baked and Janine's all mad but like everybody else is secretly happy that Slimer saved them from Janine's cooking and what you notice is and and of course we, we've only talked about a few characters so far but I'll just point this out because at least you guys will know what I'm talking about at this point is you know Kylie and Eduardo are clearly there as a couple and Garrett is there with the, uh, the the mole chick or whatever, all cleaned up and everything. And like, you know, di- di- basically different people are there. Like, like um, Peter is there w- clearly with, you know, the Sigourney Weaver character, but kind of done in a cartoon image and everything like that. So it's like, it, it, it's kind of cool. And I, I just figure like, I guess my, my point in sharing that is obviously there's a lot of people who kind of did key in on that sort of will they won't they kind of relationship thing that that was in the background with Kylie and Eduardo and then also on the top of that what you said is that you know that she I don't know maybe infatuation is not the right word but she clearly has a passion for Egon's field of study and him being the prominent guy in that field of study it's like she sort of regarded him as her hero or like this expert that you know she basically looked up to in that field you know and I I think it's interesting when the the older team comes back too I think you know Ray gets some of that a lot as well where it's like oh you know it's like you guys are like experts like this. This is going to be awesome. Like I can pick your brain and, you know, you guys are, are you know, the top of your field in, you know, whatever it is, like quantum spooktology or whatever the hell they call it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like th- those kind of things, you know. So, I mean, obviously, like that kind of stuff is cool. I did think it was interesting. And, and 
what I was trying to look for before we started the show to see if, if there were any references to the extreme Ghostbusters in comic book form, and I almost missed it, but the, the well, the one thing I didn't miss was obviously Kylie was popular enough that she's in the current IDW comic books as yeah. a totally sort of separate character in a way, but then the, the thing I almost missed was I guess there was a cameo from the cartoon team in the miniseries Ghostbusters Get Real, which I didn't realize, yep. and then I, I checked that out before we started the show and everything. And I, I think it's kind of interesting how there's the one Kylie who's just like the, what, she kind of runs Ray's occult bookshop or whatever, yep. like in the IDW comics and stuff. And that's sort of a totally different universe version of Kylie from from the one that we're talking about. But yet her look and, and kind of the, her bookish nature, like those aspects are sort of, consistent and and are still reflected in that series so i mean obviously like you know the the writer of that title liked her enough to make her an ongoing member of the cast so obviously like yourself like that probably was his favorite character as well what about you mike you got anything on on kylie i i like her like uh i mean like pretty much like justin said like uh I, I kind of I some elements of her like I can relate to and uh, uh, I, I always think it's weird like she she sort of has like a like New York accent like in the yeah, show yeah, but yeah. she can't always like Tara Strong can't always like keep it like consistent like sometimes she just kind of it seems like she talks kind of normally and then like the accent kind of drifts in and out but uh, no I mean she's cool like I, I, she's probably not my favorite character either, but, you know, I, I like her. I mean, I suppose you could no-prize it as her trying to be bookish and sounding like she doesn't have an accent, but it's probably what you're saying, that, you know, Tara Strong probably just couldn't hold it the whole time. Because I, I did notice that, where it's like sometimes she's just kind of like, hey, Dr. Spangler, what's up? And then sometimes she's like, the teleportiford connections are going to the thing and the bob and the stoop and the whoa, you know, and you're like, oh, okay. Like, and, and it makes sense. Like, you you know, if she's in New York, she may very well have that accent. But like you said, it kind of, it kind of flutters in and out, you know, depending on w what exactly she's talking about, you know, so. All right. So I will move on to Roland Jackson, who is voiced by Alfonso Ribeiro who we all know and love as Carlton Banks on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That's that's basically like that that's Alfonso's claim to fame, right? I mean It's not unusual. So yeah, and he plays Roland Jackson and and I'll read the uh character background, the uh breakdown on on Roland. Roland comes from a large, loving, lower middle class family. He has a strong moral center and an enviable sense of self. He also has a tendency to trip over his own feet, though Roland's size and self-effacing manner lead few to laugh aloud. Roland's talents are that he is often a little slow on the draw, but a brilliant mechanical mind, but too busy to keep up with pop culture and other transient issues. Roland is typically using his free time, what little there is, to tinker with his 74 Mustang. Roland's specialties, he was always fascinated by the original Ghostbusters' imperfect and impertinent technology. Who would know he'd soon be responsible for its upkeep and modernization? So, I, I guess all I'd say about Roland is he, he kind of seems like the, the anti-Winston to me. 
Like, if that makes any sense. Like, I mean, he's obviously the characters are both African-American. They're both like stalwart members of the team and everything. But I, I feel like maybe, you know, they were trying to include a character like Roland, but have him, you know, obviously play against type, you know, that, that he was going to be like the studious guy and that, you know, he had a little brother and he was a good role model for him and all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, that's basically what I took from, from his character type. He's uh, he's the Donatello. Like, he's probably my least favorite of the four of them. So, like, I mean, he's okay, but, like, I don't know. He's, he's uh, like, I'm I'm kind of like, oh, boy, a Roland episode. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's interesting you say he's Donatello, because I guess, yeah, he, I mean, he is essentially the tech specialist, whether he's, like, repairing the, the Ecto-1 or he's helping Egon, like, refine the, the proton packs or whatever. So, I mean, that's... That's true of of his character. I mean, he is, you know, it, he's the one Kylie calls down so that she can talk to the Grundle because he's the one who would know how to operate the equipment other than Egon. Like, I, yeah, that that makes sense. You know, when I was in school, there was a buddy of mine who always reminded me of this character because he was he was like really kind of, um, I don't know, sheltered, like really straight laced, and you know he would hardly ever like kick back, and you know like he. He was always concerned about, you know, getting straight A's and, you know, like his his goal was, you know, like to like to get out of this little town and like, you know, go to a good college and become a, a lawyer. And that's exactly what he did. So, like, you know, when, whenever, there, you know, like Mike said, it's like, oh, it's a relevant episode, like, ugh. But like in the back of my head, I still kind of like thinking my buddy, like, I'm like, I'm like, I wonder if he ever like loosened up or if he's still like acting all like relevant and stuff. He's still rolling it up. Yeah. All right, so we'll we'll keep going down, and there's one final new extreme Ghostbuster. I'm a scientist, and that is Eduardo Rivera, who is voiced by everybody's favorite Spider-Man Unlimited and the Batman himself, Reno Romano. So we'll go into Eduardo's character background. Eduardo fancies himself a slacker. He doesn't want to appear to be working at anything for fear of failure. Eduardo dresses post-grunge, listens to post-punk, and tries hard to maintain a veneer of cool cynicism. In reality, however, Eduardo is fascinated and deeply affected by all that happens around him. Secretly, Eduardo's goals are that he harbors a fantasy that involves marathons and Olympic games. Unrealistic? Absolutely. But each and every morning, Eduardo rises with the roosters and runs like the wind. Foolish behavior for one who claims not to dream. Eduardo's secrets are that Eduardo has a crush on Kylie. It's an unspoken thing, an unrequited thing, an unlikely thing. But from the first time he saw her in Egon's lecture hall, Eduardo was smitten. Figures he'd have to go for the quote-unquote teenage witch with the acid tongue. Life is a free fall, man. And that's Eduardo's character breakdown. I, I think they must have abandoned the whole marathon thing because there, there were episodes where he could barely keep up with uh, with Garrett and Kylie yeah. on a bicycle. So I, I don't know that that, yeah. that part of his character stuck through the breakdown. But, I mean, as far as, like, you know, him being sort of cynical and trying to be cool and obviously, you know, he, he's afraid of failing and, and you know, it basically... I. I always think of him as, like, the, the guy you know where it's like, you know, oh, dude, that chick, she's totally into me, man, you know? And it's just like, 
you you know somebody like that where it was like they got shot down every five minutes, but they're just like, oh <laughs> yeah. no, man, that chick. She told. Did you see that? Did you see that? She told. She wanted me. That that when she like threw that glass of water in my face, she wants me. You know, like that kind of thing. Like that's kind of Eduardo to a T. I think. Um, I mean, it, it's interesting because a lot of these characters, except for maybe Kylie, I think have parallels in the real Ghostbusters. I mean, I do see some of Ray in Garrett. I do see a lot of Winston in Roland, and I definitely see a lot of Peter Bankman in Eduardo. You know, I mean, they they sort of have that same catchphrase where they're both talking about, you know, I'm a scientist, you know, like that kind of thing. And obviously he is very, um, he, he, he kind of has that wisecracking tone you know, I mean, maybe there's some of Peter Venkman's split between Garrett and Eduardo, but I, I think more of Eduardo as being the, the Peter Venkman kind of counterpart at any rate. And, you know, I, I, I like you said, I think most people kind of key in on the, the fact that he kind of is sweet on Kylie and Kylie's kind of sweet on him. And it's kind of this moonlighting thing. They kind of they kind of don't really they're, they're the opposites who attract, basically, you know, and then they kind of have fun playing with that through the course of the series, but they don't really do too much with it. It's just kind of this thing that's there. And it's kind of like, if, if you're, if you're keen enough to notice it, then, then you get a kick out of it, but it's not like anything is actually realized. You know, it's not like they, they, you know, kiss or make out. I, I think the closest it came to being almost semi-official was like, there, there's that episode with the guy who has the wishing well and like the, the crazy, scary bride comes out of the wishing well and comes through all the mirrors and reflective surfaces and everything. And there's that one point where Kylie's plan is to sort of woo that guy and drive the, the scary ghost out of the reflective surface so that they, that it attacks her. And you could see like Eduardo kind of going, all right, all right, man. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like that, that, that scene in Empire Strikes Back where, you know, Lando's like, well, what have we here? You know, and, and, and like, Han Solo's kind of like, all right, all right, you old smoothie, like, uh, let's knock this off, you know, and, and you kind of get the idea, Eduardo's kind of like, you know, even though he kind of laughs off, like, are you guys a thing? And he's kind of like, no, 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 we're not a thing. But, like, he clearly sort of is a little jealous and kind of interrupts some of it. And it's kind of like, what, what, you kissing this guy? Like, what, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> like that kind of thing. I don't know, for whatever reason, like, I think Eduardo's my favorite, like, of four of them. Like, I don't know, maybe, like, I was kind of a slacker in, like, high school, so maybe I kind of relate to that. And, I mean, I wasn't always, like, yeah, trying to hit on every single girl I ever saw, but, like, uh, I probably had his luck in, like, women, so, like, <laughs> I don't know, like, it's me of what I would probably be like in that situation, basically. Like, I'm trying to keep up with everyone, but, like, I, I, like, I just barely can, basically. And, you know, you're trying, you're trying to be brave, even though you're, like, scared, like, shitless and stuff. Yeah, I like Eduardo. I mean, he, he's kind of a jerk, but he's, he's not as big as a jerk, or at least I don't think he is, as, as Garrett. And, you know, he, he does, he, he is, he does embody that whole, like, 90s, like, slacker attitude, like, totally. Um, but, you know, I, I like him, and he's, a lot of times they play him off as being, like, really dumb, and it always kind of, like, makes me laugh. I'm like, I'm like, oh, come on, is he, is he really that dumb, or is he just, like, kind of putting it on? But, like, I, I like it more, though. I like that part where they're, like, they're, like, 
they they have the ghosts that are multiplying when the real Ghostbusters come back, and it's like there were four of them, and it's like, oh man, they doubled, so now we have to deal with like ten of them. And they're like, yeah. they're like math is not his strong suit. Like, <laughs> even Bankman at that point is like, it's okay, man. Like like math wasn't my strong suit either, and like we'll both be scientists. It's cool, you know. It's like it's okay that you can't add, but you can still be a scientist, you know. Like so. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, he was like, didn't stop me from being a scientist. And then, like, Eduardo gives him that little, like, smile. Like, Yeah, yeah. It was it was cute. I mean, you know, that was that was kind of funny. Barbie was right. Math is hard. Yep, math is hard. <laughs> so I think what what I wanted to do before we get into the, the nitty-gritty of, of what I think you guys are looking forward to discuss is I, I sort of wanted to go through, and I apologize if this is anybody's least favorite or favorite episode, because that's where we're kind of leading towards with the Extreme Ghostbusters topics moving forward. But I did kind of want to get into what I saw as, uh, I, I guess this is a criticism of the show per se, but I, I did not feel like all the menaces that the Extreme Ghostbusters faced were wholly original. Uh, that's the nicest way I can put it. And so I, I kind of made a little list of episodes where I felt like they were either trying to homage or retread certain horror icons or things in pop culture and stuff like that. And um, I'll, I'll just throw these out there and see if you guys agree, disagree, or or if you noticed uh, these parallels at all. But the first time I noticed it, I think, was in one of the earlier episodes. It's an episode called Deadliners. Basically, the the Deadliners episode has a group of ghosts called the Vatek. And I think the basic premise of that show is that the page of uh, author's written work can be made real by these apparitions, basically. And so it's kind of a twofold nod to different authors, I would say. Um, they, they have a, a the, the pen name of the author is like J.N. Klein, which is like a clear reference to R.L. Stein and like Goosebumps type stuff and everything. But it, it looks like the characters that these ghosts actually sort of imitate look a lot like the Xenobites from Clive Barker's Hellraiser. And that was actually, like, the first point, I think. Not only did I notice, like, that the ghosts weren't completely original, but also I thought, wow, like, they're they're animating, like, Hellraiser-type ghosts? Like, on a kid's, you know, on a kid's show? I was like, this is pretty, this is pretty heavy. But I just thought, I, I, did anybody sort of notice that? Or, or am I just the only Clive Barker kind of like, oh, there's a pinhead or whatever? See, I've never seen those films, so like that, you know, that wouldn't register with me. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, me, me neither. Okay, okay. I'll keep going down the list. Uh, the the episode, the Killjoys, feature these vampiric clowns, and that I I couldn't help but think of either Stephen King's It or Killer Clowns from Outer Space, just on the visuals, <laughs> like clowns with like you know spiky yeah. teeth and all that kind of stuff. There is an episode called Grease where there is a gremlin that is tearing up all kinds of mechanical stuff, and the extreme Ghostbusters get stuck on a plane with some FBI agents that do not believe their story. They don't believe in, you know, apparitions or ghosts or anything like that. And there's even a sort of self-proclaimed nod 
where I think Eduardo's the one who's like, isn't this that Twilight Zone episode with Captain Kirk? You know, like, isn't that <laughs> what this is? You know, so like clearly they're 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 spelling out what they're referencing within the episode. So that's not quite as at least they're sort of owning up to it in the episode. Um, there was an episode titled The Luck of the Irish, where basically like Leprechaun and of course me and Tony have talked at great length about the Leprechaun films with Warwick Davis. So I couldn't help but think of those films when a Leprechaun showed up and the Ghostbusters had to hunt him down and he was asking about people stealing his gold and all that kind of good stuff. Um, one thing that doesn't have too much to do with ghosts or anything, but uh, and, and I don't know if this is something that you guys noticed or not, but I, I felt like there were multiple episodes that had to deal with Janine being unappreciated and Janine going on vacation for the first time ever. And I kept thinking, like, I don't know which order they appeared in or which order they were aired in, but I'm kind of thinking to myself, how can this be the first time Janine ever went on vacation when I just saw an episode where Janine went on vacation to visit her sister and came back a couple days <laughs> early or something. You know what I mean? So like, and I think one of those episodes was titled fallout. And then the other one was called a temporary insanity. And that was the one where like, she gets replaced by a woman called Lilith. And it turns out like she's the mother of these ghosts and everything. And it's like, she's doing all this stuff like super awesome where everybody loves her, but she's sort of like a, secret implant to like sabotage the Ghostbusters equipment and all that kind of stuff. And Janine actually, you know, suits up as a Ghostbuster in that episode to help them out, which was cool. But I, I did kind of think like there were multiple, it's kind of like they just took the same episode and like changed up the details a bit, which basically the premise was Janine's not appreciated. The Ghostbusters basically cannot function without her because she, you know, she's like their Alfred, you know, like Batman can't find his socks without Alfred. It's like the Ghostbusters cannot pay their phone bill without Janine, you know, and like bad stuff happens when she's gone. But I don't know, did did, it, did that occur to any of you guys when you were, I don't know if you, if that was one of the episodes you revisited or anything like that? No, I didn't rewatch that. Okay. Um, there was a episode titled Ghost in the Machine, which seemed to be a episode that reminded me a bit of uh, Godzilla versus the Smog Monster because the oil kind of bubbles up and there's this weird kind of possessed oil monster. But I guess because the oil is possessed, it also sort of possesses cars and they run around driverless. So, of course, I thought of Carrie and Maximum Overdrive, both sort of Stephen King inspired things as well. And then the the last thing that I was just going to mention is there is an episode titled The Witchy Woman and like that deals with a coven of witches. Um and I thought it was kind of obvious it was trying to emulate like the craft, you know, like the Ferrazuka Balk and what is it like Nev Campbell and whoever the fuck else is in that movie. Like uh, it seemed like I bet you if we looked up the craft it probably was released around the same time frame. So out of all out of all of those that you mentioned, the only one that I would like challenge you over is the Killjoys. I like I like that one, and I I think I like it because it's it's one of the more, or at least to me, it's one of the more like weird and creepy ones because, you know, it's like you were saying like sometimes stuff happens to people and you're like, oh wait, are they dead? So like you know at the beginning when those like vampire clown things like when they suck up the guy, I'm like and they just leave his clothes. I'm like well. 
Well, I guess he's dead now. Yeah, like, yeah. like a lot of those things, that's that? what you end up thinking. I mean, like, it's funny, even, like, sometimes, like, I, I know there was that episode with uh, Egon's colleague, I think who was voiced by, like, John DeLancey, and, like, yeah. at, at some point, like, his death is faked in the episode, but you don't know that at the time, so you're, like, sitting there, and, like, they, they run upstairs to save him, and there's this big explosion, and, like, there's this lengthy scene where, like, Egon's sitting on the stoop, and... Kylie comes up to him and is like, I'm sorry, your friend died, you know, and like, he's like, well, I, I knew him and, you know, like we were close friends at one point, but we sort of had become estranged, but I'm really sad we couldn't save him. And you're thinking like, holy shit, like they, they really blew his ass up, you know, like you're thinking like, this is for real. And of course, later on, you find out like he's like the, the mastermind behind all this, you know, villainous supernatural stuff that's going on, which sort of negates the death. But I mean, they, they really did play it fairly straight you know so so there were elements like that where you're kind of like wow this is a bit more i mean even if it even if the death is not fully realized you know sometimes you're like wow they really do sort of play this for what it's worth you know and and, and they don't it, it doesn't seem like anybody's ever really at least in terms of the the carnage on the show it doesn't seem like they try to talk down to the audience or anything yeah um the one thing i did notice or maybe maybe it's two things really um, when I was rewatching this, is like a lot of episodes deal with people being transformed in some way. Like that's like an effect of the ghost or the monster or the demon, which is usually undone. And the other thing I noticed is like a lot of episodes don't even involve ghosts. It'll be something like, you know, like you mentioned, uh, a leprechaun or a gremlin or some other kind of entity like that. It's like. It's like they, it seems like they rarely ever like go after a like you know a legitimate ghost I guess. Yeah, I, I remember the the episode where the the boy accidentally brings up like the it, it's like is it, was it like Asgardian or something like I forget it was like some kind of like mythical monster and it was definitely like Viking or something like that and and you're kind of like oh well you know this is kind of like from mythical lore but like you're saying it's it's not really quite a ghost per se, but yet they, they sort of treat it as such, you know, when they, they end up capturing it and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I did think that was kind of interesting because like, I, I don't know if that speaks to what I'm saying where they're trying to grasp for new ideas and they just kind of took things from mythology and lore and kind of said, Oh, fuck it. It's a ghost, you know, like that kind of thing or, you know, but, but uh, yeah, I'm not really sure about that. I like I, I'm not saying that as a criticism. I mean the the original series did that a lot, and I think it would be boring if it was like Ghost every week. I mean, one of my favorite episodes of the real Ghostbusters is called Ragnarok and Roll, and it specifically deals with you know Ragnarok and the Twilight of the Gods, and you know there were other episodes about like you know the Fates from Greek mythology, and you know they had um, a kind of a Bermuda Triangle esque episode about. I think they called it the New Jersey Parallelogram or something like they they were always doing weird stuff in the original series but it seemed like it was more balanced where you'd have like you know you'd have like something weird and then you'd have like you know ghosts doing something crazy or like you know ghost mobsters running around or doing something right right yeah no I I guess I see what you're saying it's just in the extreme ghostbusters maybe it, it lent more heavily towards the the non-ghost stuff than the ghost stuff, though, as opposed to maybe some of the balance you saw in the original series. 
Well, let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about your least favorite episodes. Like, can you guys think of anything that you know? It, you know, you can pick a few if you want, or or if you just have one in particular that stood out to you, where you're like, "Man, pu, what's up with this episode?" Like, was is there an episode you can think of in this show that was like that for you guys? The one I'll go with is the Infernal Machine, and basically it's about like this kind of demon that kind of like it controls electronic devices. And it kind of has Rowan, like, he's, like, crazy. He's acting all out of character, and he's, he's like, constructing his own, like, weird machine. Oh, yeah, I remember and, that. Like, like, I'm pretty sure there's an episode of the original series about some kind of, like, demon that, like, is running through the, you know, like, the power lines and such. And, like, I was kind of, I never really cared for that episode. Like, it's, I don't think it's a terrible episode. I just think it's kind of, like, you know, a bad aping of maybe an original original idea. And, like, what's kind of funny is, you know, we talked about, like, home video releases. So, like, there were three volumes released on VHS, and this is one of those, like, six episodes that was released, which is kind of, like... <laughs> it's it's um, a Roland episode. Yeah, that's what, <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say. I was like, oh, it's one of Mike's preeminent Roland episodes. Well, what about you, man? Can you think of anything, Mike, like an episode that you weren't, like, too keen on or anything like that? I did notice what you said that like there's there's multiple episodes about Janine like either leaving or like you know obviously like Egon's always like you know oblivious to her like feelings or whatever and I I don't there was the one where she turned into a bug thing or whatever that well, one was she, like they, the guy that like like she goes yeah. out on a date with him or yeah. whatever and becomes yeah yeah the the only thing funny I thought about that episode was like Egon trying to like break her out of it and he's kind of like give me some sugar baby like he's, <laughs> like, he's like so awkward yeah. Uh, <laughs> Some of that stuff, like 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 Justin said, or like both of you said, it's like I'm like, is this really about ghosts? Like that's just a fucking like bug thing or whatever. But okay. So so for me, I did I did jot down a few episodes, and these were the ones that for me I was like, it's not just like that. I thought they retread certain pop culture aspects or whatever. Like those didn't make or break an episode. I just thought they'd be interesting to point out for people who had connections to the other properties, but. These episodes I kind of actively disliked, and uh, the first episode I'm going to list is the one that's titled Eyes of a Dragon, which I was like, what is this, a backdoor pilot for the fucking Jackie Chan adventures? Like, P.U. Like, basically it was like, I guess there's like a jade dragon, and there are these, like, stereotypical, like, Chinese mobsters, like, hitting up this old man in his pawn shop that looks like it's straight out of Gremlins, and then there's the cute daughter that's stereotypical, and she comes in and is like, I will save you, grandfather, you know, and she pulls the gems out of the dragon, and then it turns out that releases, like, this horrible ghost, and I don't know, anyway, it was boring, yeah. and, um, and then the other one that I didn't like too much was the one titled Mole People, and I know I, I thought it was fun that the DeviantArt guy had paired Garrett and the Mole Girl in that one piece of art, but I didn't like this episode. I mean, it was just like, we're we're underground people. It's like, for reals? Like, since when? Like, since always. And our eyes hurt when we go into the sunlight. And it's like, but, you know, so, and then Eduardo's like, well, I bet you never heard of me. I'm like the best Ghostbuster there is. And it's like, we have TV, dude. 
we know we know who you are and it's like oh okay you know and i'm just like i don't know dude and it was like it was like they they had energy sucking demons in it again and it just reminded me of like other episodes where they had like the the you know the one with janine where she was the ghostbuster and those demons also sucked energy and i was just kind of like you know, this, I don't know, it just seemed like a weak sauce episode, and, like, I mean, I, I thought it was cool that they were trying to give Garrett, like, you know, oh, look, like, he takes the girl up to the surface, and they kind of have a thing, but then it's like, they don't really do much with it, it looks like he's really broken up, that, like, I guess her her dad is arrested for what the the demons did, or whatever, but then, you know, they save the day, and the demons are, you know, put away, and then, you know, the dad is freed from jail, but then it's like, I'm very sick. And it's like, okay, well, I can't stay up here anymore. i got to take care of my sick dad forever. You know, and it's like, oh, okay, goodbye then. You know, and it's like, and then it looks like Garrett's all sad and everything. And I'm sure Justin's like, good, because you're a jerk and you deserve to be sad. <laughs> but, like, I kind of went like, oh, that's too bad. He feels sad. And then all the guys are like, hey, dude, do you want to get a pizza? And at first he's like, no, no, I don't even want to get a pizza. And then he wheels backwards and is like, no, change my mind. Let's get a pizza. Everything's cool. Yo, Joe. You know, he's just like, oh, well, that was an abrupt, like, beat change. Out of Garrett's going to be all right. It's like, so the episode ends on, like, a happy note. It's kind of like, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, I hate you. You are my brother, Anakin. Oh, well, goodbye. Yay. You know, and it's just like, it ends out of nowhere, like, with a, a happy beat for no reason. So I thought that was a pretty piss poor episode. I don't remember that episode, but it, it sounds like the writer like must have re- recently watched the episode of like Mystery Science Theater where they like made fun of the mole people, the old movie or something. Yeah, yeah, it was like yeah, because they they were there and she had like a bunch of crap on her face, but then like when she takes it off and wears a dress, all of a sudden she's beautiful, you know. I, I don't know. It was yeah, it wasn't good. But I think where I was leaning towards, and so that we can end on a high note, a glorious note, and and regale people with the wonders that is Extreme Ghostbusters in this first half of the show, is we would discuss what you guys thought were your favorite episodes, like something that you thought was like super, super awesome. So I'll go ahead and, you know what, I'll, I'll do mine first, and then and then I'll let you guys go into it and stuff. But for for me, like, there were two episodes that I thought were really stand out and I really liked. And and I'm not I kind of know some of the episodes that Justin really likes. So I'm not I'm not trying to tread over those episodes and and make secret brother conundrums in the time stream or whatever, you know, like. So here we go. Um, But basically, uh, the the one episode that I, I really thought was cool that I liked was called Slimer's Sacrifice. And as opposed to, you know, oh boy, a Bashir episode or oh boy, a Roland episode, <laughs> like I kind of like Slimer, like I've always kind of liked Slimer. So since this actually kind of has a spotlight on Slimer, I I was actually kind of excited about that. And, and, and it wasn't like, I, I think it's kind of like when people like mock characters like Wheelie and Daniel and then they own Trypticon like this is the episode where like Slimer owns people and I'm like cool like Slimer got to do something cool you know and like I mean basically like he he gets trapped into the containment unit and and like all the Ghostbusters are getting taken out by this dog monster and like there's a lot of cool moments where like you know, since Slimer's trapped in the containment unit, like, Egon's like, all right, suit me up. I'm going in after him. And, like, there's a callback to one of the older real Ghostbuster episodes because, the, you know, he even tells, 
you know, um, Roland, like he says, hey, look, I've done this before. And, you know, when I looked it up, they said it, it refers to the episode Christmas or Xmas marks the spot from the real yeah. Ghostbusters. And so it's a direct reference to the original series, which I thought was pretty cool. Then, you know, basically, you know, Egon can't do it. So Eduardo's the one who basically, even though, you know, at the beginning, Eduardo's like, God damn, Spud, you know, like everybody else, you know, stop sliming me, stop eating my, you know, snacks and all this other stuff. But when push comes to shove, you know, Eduardo's got a good heart and he actually does care about Slimer, too. And so he's going to go into the containment unit and everything. And and basically, again, like we're talking about with all this mythology, like he's going to stop Surter's plot to create Ragnarok and stuff. And so like, I, I don't know, like that, that one I thought was cool because of how it ended and, and how I, I thought it, it, it was a nice thing where, you know, even though the Kylie, um, Eduardo thing often sort of goes unspoken. Like I liked that, you know, most times you sort of take for granted that, you know, Slimer's there, everybody gets pissed at Slimer, but at the end of the day, they all love him and he loves them and that kind of thing, kind of like a pet or, you know, whatever kind of relationship you want to compare it to. And like, I, I sort of like the idea that it was actually recognized like that, you know, him and, you know, Eduardo and Slimer have this moment and, you know, that basically it's like at the end of the day, you know, it's like he saved him and Slimer kind of had his back. And, you know, it was like one of those things where you're like, all right, like we, we got through this together and now we're going to go back to, you know, I don't know, being angry at each other or whatever, but, but, you know, when, when the shit hits the fan, like we have each other's backs and, and I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. That, I like that episode. And, um, I guess we should maybe point out like in the original series, um, Frank Welker voiced Slimer and extreme ghostbusters. He's voiced by Billy West, AKA Fry from Futurama. Yeah. I, I, I was like, Oh, when I looked at the credits, I was like, Oh, who did Billy West voice? And I was like, Oh yeah. Cause he does like, you know, animal voices too. So I guess he can do like, <laughs> <or whatever. laughs> he can do Slimer voices. The, the other episode I was going to list as my favorite episode. And I think maybe this is mostly for personal reasons. So you'll forgive me, but I really like the episode, the Sphinx. And basically, again, this is a bit more mythological, but, you know, the Sphinx runs around, you know, New York City, basically questioning all these people who are into Jeopardy, who, who he, you know, thinks, you know, he kind of runs around and goes, I bet you think you're really, really smart, you know, and he starts asking them the riddle of the Sphinx. And like, this was something like, I think my mom always asked me when I was a kid and, and, and told me about the riddle of the Sphinx. So like, I knew the answer to the riddle before the Sphinx even asked the question. And like, so because of that, I was kind of like, oh, I, I totally know about this episode, you know, and I was kind of all into it. So I, I know that like, one of the things I thought was really cool was that, you know, he, he's in Egon's in the elevator and it's probably just the heat of the moment or whatever, but he ends up calling Garrett Ray when he's kind of in a highly emotional state. And I, I thought that was kind of cool because, you know, it's a callback to the original show, but also it's something that's kind of believable where you can kind of, you know, I, I kind of felt like a sense of, of vindication because I kind of thought the same thing where I'm like, I think Garrett does have some, some aspects of, of Ray to his character. So I could see why Egon could make that uh, mistake in the heat of the moment and everything like that. And, and then again, you know, making this kind of heavily personal for me, you know, Egon does say that, 
he is gonna he basically is 39 years old and and he feels kind of like he's too old to keep up with all these young extreme ghostbusters kids and for me i'm like sitting there going well i'm gonna be 39 this year you know and and so and i I know most people are polite and they they try not to say anything or or you know that that you know most people are polite and say oh well that's not really that old and i was even reading on like message boards and stuff where people are like oh he's exaggerating like that's not that old but I, i think all egon's saying is that, you know, he's not as young as he was, you know, it's not like when he was back in his 20s, and he was hunting ghosts with all the old gang, it's like here, you know, he's starting to feel some of his age, and, you know, I think by the end of it, he's kind of not resigned to that, but he kind of accepts that one of the things that he definitely has to offer his group of, of, you know, kids that are taking over the mantle is he can offer his experience, his knowledge and everything. And of course, you know, me knowing the answer to the Sphinx riddle, I'm like, oh, well, Egon's got this man. He knows this shit. You know, it's like, I'm like, it's man, it's man, motherfucker. So like, yeah, I I, I knew that already. And and I thought that was a pretty fun episode, but I think mainly just for a lot of personal reasons and stuff. What about you, Mike? Are there episodes that you'd want to uh, highlight as your particular favorites? Well, you guys know me. I like the grim alternate future episode. So I did like that one where Kylie got like mass displaced into the like future. And it also kind of reminded me of like Target 2006, like Transformers, because like they they were like, you know, talking about like mass displacement and, uh, you know, uh, switching back and forth between like phasing between times and stuff. And I I thought that was a funny episode. And I think the funniest part of that episode was like when Garrett's like, you know, don't you know who I am in the future? And the guy's like, no. And then (laughs) like they know who everyone is but Garrett. And it's like the implication is like Garrett like died before anything. Like he did anything important. Yeah, no, I like that episode. I forgot the the one where their nightmares kept coming real was pretty good too. Like when Eduardo like loses all his hair and stuff, and he wakes up oh, like, yeah, and he's yeah. balding, and he's like, "Oh man!" Like like that was pretty funny. And uh, Roland kept like barfing up water all all the time. Yeah, that was that was pretty interesting because I think I think like Justin was saying how the, this show seemed to involve a lot of physical transformations. Like those dream sequences seemed real to me because I, 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 you know, I don't know that I've ever had a dream where I kept vomiting water and it filled up like the whole lecture room. But I mean, I, I remember like either dreams about like things getting flooded or drowning. And then I also remember dreams where, you know, like odd things where like weird, you know, I, I've had weird things happen where like dreams, you, you basically are, you know, it's all oral where like weird shit's coming out of your mouth in the dream and you're all freaked out and stuff. So, I mean, I could see like why that would be something that, you know, somebody would think of for like a a nightmarish kind of occurrence for a character and stuff. I mean, other than that, you know, obviously I like like, you know, the two part like series finale or whatever, but I'm sure we'll talk about that a little maybe. How about you, Justin? Like, is there is there some episodes you want to highlight as far as your favorites? Do we want to get into Back in the Saddle or, or you know, the pilot or anything else? Or um, I'll talk about my favorite, and then we'll talk about the other ones. Um, my favorite one is Grendel-esque, and this one is kind of a sequel to an original series episode called The Grendel. And basically, The Grendel is this kind of, like, weird... 
I don't know, he, he looks kind of like a homeless person wearing a hat. And he, like, comes to little kids' windows, and he's like, you know, he's like, you know, come out and play. Like, we'll have fun. Like, you know, you don't need your parents. We'll do whatever we want. And, you know, the, basically, he, he's ta- kind of like, he, want to, he wants to, like, take these kids and, you know, make them kind of, like, mean. And then kind of, like, I guess maybe possess them. And, like, they kind of, like, take on his own features. And like that that's one of my favorite episodes of the original series and in this one we find out that like the Grundle during the events of the original series episode, the Grundle like was watching Kylie sleep, which I always found was really creepy. And maybe has like a weird kind of subtext to it, but like like he was watching her sleep and he could never convince her to come out and play like with the other kids. And we find out like there's another Grundle, like that's running loose like, you know, present day. And it turns out that, like, Kylie's friend Jack, who, like, the Grundle convinced to come out and play, like, the Grundle, like, took him and, like, put him in a cocoon. Um, And then, like, when the Grundle was captured, like, he just stayed in that cocoon until, like, he was, like, you know, accidentally released. And now he, now Jack is the Grundle. And then, you know, kind of like you mentioned earlier, like, Kylie is kind of, like, obsessed with the Grundle. And she has Roland, like, help her, like, hook up this thing to, to the uh, containment chamber. And they talk to the original Grundle. And then they accidentally release him. So they got, they've got two Grundles running around. And, like, I, you know, like, I thought it was fun that, like, not only did they, like, do, like, a sequel to an episode of the original series. But it's, like, it's one of my favorite. And it's one of the, like, it's one of the monsters that, like, I always thought was one of the creepiest. Like, just... I don't know, like, I've always had this weird fear of looking out my window and something looking back at me. Like, I've always been afraid of that. Like, that's never happened to me. So I don't know why I'm afraid of something like that. But, like, just just the thought of, like, being a kid and, like, being, you know, seeing someone at your window being, like, come out and play. And then, like, when you get up to it, it's, like, this, like, really, like, grotesque-looking monster. Hey, like, it's, like, just, it's like the yeah. the William Shatner Twilight Zone episode, almost, <laughs> yeah. Like, especially, like, if you have, like, blinds or something, like, you don't want to, like, you know, pull back those blinds or whatever. Yeah. It, it's weird, because that, that seems like another layer to it from, like, the audience perspective, because it's almost like you're William Shatner, but the little kid is the one opening up the airplane blind, if that makes any sense. And you're, like, <laughs> screaming, no, dude, don't do it. Because it seems like all these kids, like, like I get what you're saying. Like, he clearly looks like this creepy-looking creature, and he's got the scary, like, Gordon's Fisherman hat or whatever it is, and the, the, the coat and everything. And you're like, man, like, this does not, like, I mean, it, it, it's like, I get it. It's probably, like, this parable for kids to, like, not talk to strangers or whatever. But at the same time, you're like, okay, they're going after these kids who are quote unquote bad seeds. And the idea is he's going to sort of entice them into, you know, coming out with him and doing other bad things. And they slowly, you know, turn into a, you know, raisin looking weirdo like him or whatever. But like, part of me is kind of like, even if, even if Roland's like, what was it? His nephew or his little brother, I think his little brother, his little brother, like even if his little brother is like, the most devious little shit brother there is 
you know, like, like it's one of those things where you're like, okay, like I get that. Like, like he wants to play pranks on people and, and, and do all this kind of mischievous stuff and, and go out and pretend to be a ghostbuster, even though he really probably doesn't care about helping people. It's more about, you know, messing around with the equipment and creating, you know, chaos or whatever it is. Right. But like, part of me is always kind of like, I, I guess maybe that's the aspect of all of us that maybe relate to Kylie, where you're like, dude, I'm not opening that fucking window. Like, that, like just, just that is a, 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 not, not so much like that I'm like you were, I'm necessarily like scared of the Grendel, but just from a pragmatic point of view, it's like, wait a minute, why, why would you fucking do that? Like, what, what is, why can't you just be a devious little shit on your own? Like, why, why do you need his permission to go out? like side and you know like like one of those things and it's like on on top of that it's like like you said there's that weird like third disturbing layer to it where it's like what you want him to like molest you or do whatever he's gonna do like no man like don't don't open that window you know like like are you nuts like so like there's always that weird aspect to it and and one of the things i think is a good sort of imitation of of some some great movies or whatever like i always feel like anytime somebody's talking to a nefarious villain behind a cage i always feel like if they do it well they get like the hannibal lecter treatment and i think the grundle in this case was getting kind of like the hannibal lecter treatment where it's like oh clarice like you're here yeah. to talk to me about other grundles and like i i really like their their discourse back and forth. I thought that was a, a fun kind of episode. And it was kind of like he had something on them because they, they couldn't really tell Egon, like Egon sort of forbade them to talk to the Grundle. So they were kind of doing it on the sly and, and, and he kind of knew they were doing it on the sly. So it was like, there were the, these other aspects to their interrogation that, that also sort of, you know, led to, you know, the uh, Roland's little brother, you know, getting hypnotized and releasing him and all that other kind of stuff. So, I mean, I, I think that covers most of our personal favorite episodes, but I know something that we were kind of holding off on was discussing the, the pilot episode, which was a two-parter called Darkness at Noon, and then also sort of the series finale, which introduces a team-up between the extreme Ghostbusters and the real Ghostbusters, which is called Back in the Saddle, and is also a two-part episode and i know you know mike had mentioned that as, as something that was one of his favorites that he thought we'd discuss later and you know i know justin was looking forward to discussing the pilot and the uh, finale as well so i guess have at it gentlemen i mean i i think both of these i i think darkness at noon set up the the world pretty well i mean you got the idea what had been going on for the most part i i do think you know and and you know who knows what we're gonna say about the upcoming movie and, and what we're going to feel about it. And, you know, obviously it's, it's already been like super controversial and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I, I do think there is an element of the fact that Egon and Janine and Slimer are all still at the firehouse and they're also guiding this new cast of characters that makes it a bit more easy to accept and swallow a new generation of Ghostbusters. Whereas I mean, I don't know. I could be speaking out of turn, but I don't think there's going to be any mentor type character in this new film, you know, so I, I could see that being a, a tough pill for, for fans of the original uh, property to swallow. But I mean, I think as 
in terms of the pilot, you know, and then also, especially in terms of back in the saddle, like it was certainly fun. It's weird to see. I, I think when I watched back in the saddle the first time without any real frame of reference for the extreme Ghostbusters, I kind of just thought, oh, cool. It's the real Ghostbusters. And they're making these kids look kind of stupid, like, haha, stupid kids, you know, but I think, you know, sort of watching the entire series and, and sort of, coming to identify with, with some of these new characters and everything. I, I sort of watched it from a new perspective when I watched it this time, where it was like, oh, man, these old guys coming back and giving us a bunch of shit, man. We know what we're doing. Like, what's up? You know, so it's like I, I feel like I got the best of both worlds, sort of the way I I watched back in the saddle that, you know, the first time I, I really heavily focused on the nostalgia and the feels of seeing the real Ghostbuster crew. And then I think this time I, I got the notion of, well, hey, you know, just because you're part of the nostalgia and the feels, like, you know, we, we've earned our due, too. Like, we've been doing this for, you know, 39 episodes, too. So don't don't come in here and, you know, tell us that we're green and newbies and all that kind of stuff. So, like, I, I sort of like the aspect of both those episodes. Yeah, as far as the team-up, like, you know, I like I was really surprised that, like, they were doing it, you know, like, the you know the the opening is just you know it's Egon's birthday and he goes to the firehouse and all of a sudden it's like surprise and I'm like holy crap like was that like you know was that Ray Peter and Winston because it like it went by so fast and then you've got the uh, the theme song I was like wait really and then it was like it's a two parter so like that like that blew my mind like at the time I, I was a little disappointed they didn't fight like a bad guy from the original series but like looking back on it now. Like, I'm kind of glad they didn't. Like, I think it's a nice change that they fought, like, two, like, kind of original threats. Like, I think if they had, like, fought, like, Syme or the Boogeyman or somebody, like, there would have been more of that aspect of, like, you know, step back kids. Like, we know what we're doing. Oh. You know, there would have been, there would have been more well, of that. I remember thinking, like, at the end of the first episode where he was like, oh, there's a huge, like, spectral reading that, like, the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man was going to come back or something in the second part, but... Oh. I, I was going to challenge that they were wholly original because I kept thinking of John Carpenter's The Fog for that huge bank of fog, you know, that was like evil and everything. And I was kind of like, yeah, that's kind of what I thought of when I saw it, you know, like, but, but that's, um, that's just me. And it doesn't detract or take away from the episode, but I was certainly reminded of John Carpenter's The Fog when that, that rolled in and everything. And I, I thought, it, you know, what else I thought was interesting, I'll just mention is like, Ray wears Egon's costume too, yes. and like I was kind of like I don't know if that was like because they thought him and Garrett would look too similar or what, but but I was kind of like but now Egon and him have the same costume, but I guess you could tell the difference because of their body types and hair color. But I, I always thought that was kind of strange that like yeah, that, that always bothered me too, man. Like even when I first watched it, I was like he's wearing the wrong costume. You mean? Maybe they <laughs> forgot who had what color. Yeah, but but they gave yeah I don't know they gave you know it's like it's it's just kind of like they gave two people the same outfit and you're kind of like okay like that was kind of weird and then um, like did I I know it's a two part episode but like you know how like the first episode ends and they're kind of like oh there's a big spectral emission and the fog's rolling in and everything and then what's weird is in the second half it sort of opens up with them on a boat and they're like. You know, I think it's like Peter and 
who is it, like Garrett are on the boat and they're fishing and then the fog rolls in again and then (laughs) some people get messed up on a boat again. And I was kind of like, what (laughs) happened to the last episode? Like, weren't you guys going to deal with it then? Like, it seems like the fog came in and then they all forgot about it. And then, uh, you know, I don't know. There's just like, like, let's go fishing. Yeah, there was some disconnect between between yeah. the, the the it was like I thought it was like a to be continued and it would like pick up right from where it left off and instead it seemed like there was some passage of time like because they they talk about Egon's birthday and maybe I'm just being super centric because I'm like well my birthday is in October and so Egon's birthday must be in October because we're both about to turn 39 or whatever but I'm sitting there thinking like oh well you know it's probably like whatever month it is right and then by the second episode of that they're kind of like oh yeah our plane flights got canceled and we're not going to be able to make it home for Thanksgiving to see our families and this and that and the other thing so they have Thanksgiving dinner at the firehouse and I'm kind of thinking man like and I know I'm centric but I'm like man they've been there for like a month like because it sounded like they'd been there for weeks so I was sitting there going oh you know it's like they've been busting ghosts with Egon on like a little reunion tour for like the last month or something like that that's kind of what it felt like to me but I don't know if anybody else got the same vibe that there seemed to be a a larger passage of time than just you know oh the last episode ended at like 1201 and the next episode started at like 1202 you know like it seemed like there was a longer passage of time than than I was expecting there was there was a sort of disconnect between the two parts and I was kind of like wait yeah like like I said yeah it's like Peter was like let's just go fishing out of the complete blue like okay I mean, eventually I caught up. Like, like I said, when I originally saw that episode, I was kind of like, "Oh, is the Stay Put is that big spectral reading like the Stay Put Marshmallow Man for some reason?" But no, it wasn't. One of the things I wanted to ask you guys, and this is, I don't know, I guess it depends on like your personal taste in music. Like, what do you guys think of like the opening theme? Because like, I really like it, but like, I'm conscious that it's totally a product of its time. Uh, to be perfectly honest. I found myself skipping it when I was doing this viewing and it could be the fact that I'm kind of doing a cram session and was watching a lot of these this whole week but if I like an opening I generally don't skip through it like like just to put it this way like I like the opening to Game of Thrones and I don't generally like skip through it because I like it you know what I mean it's like one of those things it's like I don't know I like the opening to like Teen Titans or whatever you know what I mean so it's like I don't generally just fast forward through it but if i if i'm kind of like look i like the show but whatever this opening like it's not so hot you know like it's like i don't hear uh a grand tour for the 500th time you know like i skip through (laughs) it you know and and i felt like it's one of those things where it certainly gets stuck in your head if you let it you know where it's like you know I pray to no ghost or whatever the fuck and like it's just one of those things where i i think I probably, in, I don't know if this is just still a whole of my initial first impression of just the, the show and property in general, but, like, I'd rather sit through the real Ghostbusters intro any day of the week than, than the end of this. Like, I, I, and I think it's mostly the song, like, not so much, like, the animation or, you know, showing or whatever, but I just think it's like, oh, this is extreme, you know, the 90s version of the uh the regular kind of Ghostbusters tune like amped up to 11 or whatever and it, it kind of gets on my nerves 
I don't think it's so bad. Like, I think it's extremely, like, tolerable. Like, I, like I, I found myself, like, watching it. But, like, it's not, like, I don't know. It, it's not that much, like, you know, the, it's not that much. It's not different enough from the original theme, I guess. So, um, am I still a jerk like Garrett because I don't like the theme, Justin? <laughs> no, it's cool. Okay. Like, even, even among, like, fans of the show, like, there are people who are like, yeah, it's really cool, you know, like, they're like me. Like, I guess that was just, you know, like I said, like, I was kind of a slacker teen when the show hit. So, like, I, I was at the... Um, I was at that right um, demographic, but like there, there are certainly fans who think it's like one of the worst like abominations, especially like as far as you know riffs on classic themes go. So that's okay. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. I forgive you. <laughs> awesome, awesome. I'll go shoot some hoops and uh, roll my wheels and everything. <laughs> I will, I will outrace you all in my wheelchair, even though you're on like bicycles going like. Yeah, can, can you can you roll? Yeah, can you roll a wheelchair fast enough to break down locked doors? Yeah, you know, I can, I can. I'm just like Garrett, dude. I'm, I'm a jerk, remember? And I'm awesome. Um, so yeah, no, I, I guess what we'll do is we'll we'll roll out here, and and when we come back, of course, we're gonna be. I, I think it's gonna be me and Justin. We're gonna be discussing the Ghostbusters feature film that's coming out and everything, and our thoughts on it. But I suppose, you know, maybe since we're talking so much about the uh, the theme song, maybe we'll play a little bit of that or, or go to a commercial break. And then after that, like I said, uh, we will come back and we'll be discussing the super duper controversial man. Everybody hates it or loves it and has a super social justice warrior opinion on it. Ghostbusters 2016. So stay tuned. Black Canary. I'll need a sparring partner. I'm Zatanna. What do you care about some leggy dame in nylons? Or have I answered my own question? Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for match. Black Canary and Zatanna. Together in one podcast. I'm Ryan Daly, and I've got a thing for superheroes in fishnet stockings. That's why I started Power of Fishnets, a Black Canary and Zatanna podcast. Join me every two weeks as I celebrate the Blonde Bombshell and the Mistress of Magic in their exciting adventures published by DC Comics. Power of Fishnets, available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Hey guys, welcome back. Now, some time has passed between the first segment you've heard where we discussed extreme Ghostbusters. What ended up happening was Justin tried to kidnap me and Mike and force us to watch the 2016 release of the remake Ghostbusters. He took us and he was going to put both of us on Dr. Doom's time platform. I valiantly shoved Mike out of the way so he did not have to watch this, but... Justin was too quick for me. We both watched Ghostbusters 2016, and we're here to let you know our thoughts on the reboot, Ghostbusters 2016. Give everybody a shout-out, Justin. Hey, everybody. 
So yeah, so so we are here to talk Ghostbusters 2016. Now I, I I feel like I should preface this with you know I think if anybody knows me or has listened to many of these podcasts, they know I sort of have this long-standing rule that I break every once in a while, and this is an occasion where I've broken it. But I think you know right around the time I saw the atrocious Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake and decided it was like the worst thing I'd ever seen, I sort of made this decision to you know, not support remake movies in general just as a blanket rule and i mean i for the most part i pretty much held fast and true to it some people get confused because they wonder why i keep watching the same batman movie over and over again but you know or, or star trek or whatever but you know to me like some of those things don't apply and then also you know i i've occasionally in in my own worldview you know I've, I've i've broken my own rule when i was curious about things like say nightmare on elm street and friday the 13th and i actually did watch the remakes of those so in this sense you know i i think this is an instance where i'm sort of breaking my own rules to watch what is essentially a a remake of of the original ghostbusters film so i i just figured i'd i'd kind of put that out there as a caveat and everything before we sort of go into discussing the film yeah, I, I I kept telling you the whole time I was like, you know, you don't have to watch this, right? Like, I don't I don't want you to like subject yourself to something that I know you probably won't like. Well, I I, I think for me, like I I mean, I guess the other caveat I'd give is I I knew you were interested in talking about it and going to see it. Like you you seemed pretty enthusiastic that we were going to have new Ghostbusters material on the screen. So I think part of my desire to to watch the film was not so much that I thought I was going to enjoy the hell out of the film, but was to, you know, have a discussion with you on the podcast about it. And, and hopefully your enthusiasm would either rub off on me or at the very least, you know, we could we could have a fun discussion on the podcast about the film and everything. So that that's basically, you know, to me, like that was kind of one of the things I enjoyed about doing the Force Awakens podcast, regardless of whatever my feelings were about the film was that we could all kind of come together and discuss it. So my, my thing was, if you were into watching a new Ghostbusters film that I, you know, I'd give it a shot and just kind of, you know, go along for the ride and, and, you know, just, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it or anything. I, I do feel like you're kind of, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, you know, like it's like <laughs> yeah. if, you're, if you're critical of it, right, then then people will label, you know, because because we, you know, shocker of shockers, we are both male. You know, and, and, and it's like, you know, then you can be, you know, labeled a sexist or what have you. Right. And then and then. But if you're if you're super positive about it, I, I kind of feel like the reviews that I've seen where people are like, this is the greatest thing ever. I, I kind of feel like it's sort of forced and fake, like to get that sort of congratulatory, politically correct pat on the yeah. back and go, see, look, I'm not a sexist, you know, like and and. And that also seems kind of forced. I mean, I, I, I would say to you, I think my ultimate opinion on the film was, and, and I feel like I've been saying this a lot lately, is just that it's it was okay. I mean, it, it didn't set my world on fire, and, and it didn't it wasn't the most horrible thing I've ever seen in the world either. You know, like, I, I mean, I, I think the only thing I would say that will horribly offend a, a vast segment of the population is, I think just in the grand scheme of things, if you want to have a film where an all-female cast does something for the first time ever, there, there's something, I don't know, it, it's weird. It, it has that vibe of, like, a film like A League of Their Own, you know, where, like, you've got, you know, a, an all-female cast, and it's a comedy, and they're playing baseball, 
and and it's 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 historical because of that reason. But there, there's also that vibe to it of you know people have played baseball before this, right? You know, and it's kind of like you know <laughs> you know there were men that were Ghostbusters before this, right? I mean, not in the context of the film, but in the context of the public and the audience. I think you know that, that's one of those things where it's like it's. It's not to discourage or or degrade, you know, anybody who thinks that this is um, a good thing, you know, that that there's female Ghostbusters out there. But at the same time, I, I don't quite think it's as groundbreaking as you think it is. And and if that offends people, I guess that's too bad because that's kind of where I'm coming from this film with. But I, I think what helped me immensely was the fact that, and, and I discussed this on the, the first half of the segment, but since we went through Dr. Doom's time platform, I'm just going to bring it up again to refresh everybody's memory, but that Ghostbusters miniseries that I read, where there's all the different alternate versions, where it's like the comic version and the movie version and the cartoon version and the extreme Ghostbusters version, and there are all these different multiverse versions of the Ghostbusters out there. I think that comic book from IDW helped me immensely with mentally dealing with this film because I think in the first couple minutes, I, I still wasn't really realizing it was a reboot. Like I was kind of sitting there going, well, don't PKE meters exist. Like there's a bust of Egon Spangler in the, in the, the college that the, the main character is teaching at, right? Like don't, haven't they people in New York seen ghosts before? And, and I think maybe about five or 10 minutes into the film, like, I just flipped the switch and went, oh, this is a reboot. This is a totally alternate universe. No one's ever seen ghosts. No one's ever invented PKE meters. Just go with it. And, and like, that's kind of how I had to treat the film to just keep watching it. So that's, that, I mean, that's my main sort of caveat that I would, I would, or insight that I would give to people that, you know, either, you know, are, are diametrically opposed to the film or, or, you know, basically are the, you know, there, there's the large contingent where, you know, you, there were the people that actively tried to dislike the trailer on YouTube and all that kind of other stuff, you know, and, and lots of controversy going and surrounding the film and everything, you know, based on, you know, people that think it's going to rape their childhood or, you know, what have you. And, and, and I think, you know, again, with my opening statement, I don't think this film is that, but I also don't think it's anything that is going to change your life or set the world on fire either. I think uh, I think Jeremy John said that, like, reviewing this film was like taking the Kobayashi Maru test. It's like, no matter what you do, you're kind of, you're kind of, like, screwed. But, you know, the, the whole time, like like I said, uh, I don't I don't care who's in it, except maybe Adam, Adam Sandler. Like, Adam Sandler probably could have kept me from from watching this film because I, I pretty much despise him at this point. But, like, you know, this whole time I'm, I'm just like, you know, give me a Ghostbusters film. Like, I'll watch it. Like, I, you know, pretty much I don't care who's in it, if it's a reboot, like, if it's all women or Asian guys or, what, like, whatever. Like, I'll watch it. I'll go see it because it's Ghostbusters. Just like, you know, if it's Star Trek, I'll go see it. You know, if it's, like, Star Trek and it's all about Klingons or Vulcans or if it's, like, you know, you know, quirks like, you know, sexy strippers and, you know, drag race party or whatever. Like, I, I would go watch that just because it's Star Trek. But, like, as as for this film, like, I think I think it took me a while to get into it. And one of the reasons is, like, immediately there was an actor in it who I pretty much despise. Um, the guy at the museum who gets, like, slimed and may or may not have pooped his pants or whatever. 
Zach Woods is his name, and like, I I kind of despise him. Like everything I've seen him in, like I I just think he's like the like worst, like smarmiest, hammiest. Like just anytime he's on the screen, I'm like, you're acting. Like I can tell you're acting, and you're just so cheesy and hammy. Like I don't like you. So like immediately, like I was like, oh man, like he's in this. Like come on. You know what, then, before you go too far, I'll just uh, interject that that opening sequence with that actor, like, there, there was that moment where I thought, did the ghosts kill him? Because it, it, felt, it felt a lot like the opening to, like, a sequence of, like, an episode of Supernatural, where basically it starts with something, and by the end of it, you know, somebody's head is splattered in blood, and then you go into the intro. And, and it was very much like that, where, you know, he's... He's he's fooling all these these tourists that are in this house, and he he basically tricks them to think that the house is haunted, and he tells them this spooky story, uh, you know, about uh, you know, a woman that was locked in the basement, and she was a little, you know, kind of insane, and and then he has this uh, mechanical device that triggers the candelabra from like falling over or whatever, and he chuckles to himself, but then of course it turns out there is a real ghost in the basement, and then the, the stairwell falls and all this slime comes up, and then you basically close up on his face and he's hanging from the, the, the ripped up stairwell, and he screams, and you're just like, and then it goes into the do 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 and I'm kind of like, is he dead? Like, what, you know, like, like, I wasn't really sure what was going on at that point. And, and of course, you know, not too long after it's pretty clear he's not dead, you know, like, so I was like, well, what? So he, he got slimed. He got, I don't know. Anyway, there, there was that aspect like that. That was part of the film where I still hadn't really made the switch in my brain yet. And, um, I guess, you know, you know what I'd ask you is, and I, this is a genuine question because I, I can tell you precisely the moment I finally broke down and started laughing at stuff, but I'm just curious, like, at what point did you start finding things humorous in this film? You know, I'm not sure. Like, I didn't really think it was all that funny, really. Like, there, like I chuckled a few times, and there were a lot of times where I would just say to myself, oh, that's funny, but I wouldn't laugh, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I was I like, do. oh, that's, I, that's, I was like, that's clever. Like, that's funny. But I wouldn't laugh for whatever reason. Like, I never had any, like, huge, like, guffaws or belly laughs or anything. But I would be like, I would chuckle at a few things. And, I, like, I, I think I eventually did. I, I mean, I can tell you exactly when, and I'm, I'm sure this will piss off a bunch of people as well. But, man, I thought Chris Hemsworth was the shit in this movie. Like, he was excellent. Like, like the moment where he first shows up and he starts rubbing his eyes through oh, yeah. the lenses, I died. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, that was, yeah. like, the funniest yeah, like, fucking shit I'd ever seen. And, like, I, I felt, like, relieved because I was like, oh, finally, like, something's funny in this fucking movie, you know? Like, and, and, and I was like, thank God, like, this isn't going to be, like, a total... Because, you know what was weird was, like, it, it seemed like in, in those opening moments, like, I, I get what they were going for, but I, I felt like... I, I don't know how to explain it, but it felt kind of like SNL-like acting that wasn't really acting, where they were, like, yeah. delivering a sketch, but they weren't, like, acting. Like, it, it was almost like in, in some of those early scenes, it was like they were doing a bit and not actually talking to one another, you know? Like, especially when, when they're, you know, they're they're in the different colleges and they're talking about 
like ghosts and all this other stuff. But then, you know, the, what's her face? Melissa McCarthy doing the fucking wonton bit, you know? And it was just like, okay, this is a bit. I get it. It's supposed to be funny. And some people are, you know, chuckling about it because, you know, I guess she, you know, she's sort of regarded as a funny lady and stuff like that. And I get that. But it was just like one of those things where it's like, it just, it seemed like it was a bit that somebody was doing as stand-up and not an actual moment between two human beings that happened to be funny. Whereas I think like the Hemsworth stuff, it just, he sold that he was kind of like this big, good looking, dumb goof of a guy, you know, and, and, and just everything that he did was like completely ass backwards, you know? And it's like, and that was where the, the humor sort of sprung from with him. And I was like, okay, well that stuff like really cracked me up and made me laugh and stuff. So for, from that sense of it, I appreciated it. And then I think, like I said, once I made the switch in my head and you had, um, cause I don't remember any of these characters names, so I got to look it up, but Holtzman, the Holtzman's the blonde, right? Yeah. Okay. So, so Holtzman, when, when, you know, she basically, once I, I sort of flipped the switch and I realized, oh, so she's, you know, she's essentially the Egon, the female Egon, right? And, and she's the one inventing all this stuff, you know, and I kind of went, oh, okay, I get it now. Like, nobody's ever seen a PKA meter. Like, she helped create the PKA meter, you know, like she's creating the proton pack and they have like the prototype one where they go down into the, to the, uh, the subway system and and then first it's connected to like all this hard wire and then as the film goes on they sort of tweak it and modify it so that it's at a backpack and eventually they've got these little pistols and and different things like that and i went oh okay like that's you know i I sort of wrapped my head around that and kind of went okay well that makes sense and you know there's those things where they try to tease you where it's like they come in and it looks like they're gonna you know basically rent out the same firehouse the original Ghostbusters used, and then they try to pull a fast one where they're like, she looks at the price tag of the rent, and she's like, uh-uh, and then they end up, like, renting out, like, some some rinky-dink shack that's above, like, a Chinese restaurant, and then the gag is, of course, that it's the same stupid guy who delivers her the fucked-up wonton soup, so, you know, constantly throughout the movie, there's the wonton soup gag, and I'm like, oh, thank God. Because that was so funny the first time. We're going to see it five more fucking times. But anyway, you know, like, the, the, but anyway, so, the, you know, there, there's that aspect to it as well. And, and you know, I, I guess I, I think it's a nice thing that they had the the bust of um, well, Harold, Ramis. Harold Ramis, you know, where, where it was, you know, I guess it wasn't really supposed to be Egon. But, of course, that was the first, I don't know, 15 minutes or so. And, and I was thinking, oh, is that supposed to be Egon? But I guess, you know, it was it was a nice homage, you know, a nice call out to one of the original cast members. And I think I didn't quite understand that that's what it was at the time until uh, I I think Bill Murray came on and he was a totally different character. He was kind of like this guy who likes to debunk ghost stories and everything like that. And so the minute I saw him as a different character, that also helped things click into gear where it's like, oh, he's got a cameo, but he's not playing Peter Vankman. He's playing, you know, this other character who's trying to debunk the Ghostbusters and is kind of playing like this swarmy jerk of a character, you know, and I was like, oh, okay, like, I kind of, I kind of keyed in on that, and then there were, you know, as the film progresses, there, there are, you know, subsequent cameos, so if you, if you are uh, uh, familiar with the original series, you know, it's kind of like seeing Stan Lee in a Marvel movie, only it's for, you know, Bill Murray and the, the lady who played Janine and Dan Aykroyd and Ernie Hudson, you know, that, that kind of stuff. 
What did you, I mean, what did you think of those cameos? Like, is that something where you're like, was that, was that exciting for you? Was that disappointing that they weren't like playing their original characters or had had you kind of gotten into it by that point where you're just kind of like, Oh, it's just cool to see that they, they got their shout outs individually throughout the film. Yeah. I think by the time Bill Murray showed up, I like, I was, by that point I was into the film, I was invested and I was like, Oh cool, Bill Murray. And he's like, you know, he's totally not, uh, Peter Venkman. And then, you know, we see the other characters show up and, you know, um, the character Patty kept referring to her uncle, and I was like, I bet that's going to be Ernie Hudson's character. And at the end, he showed up. Like, I kind of forgot about him for a minute, and at the very end, he shows up. I was like, oh, like, cool, like, there he is. And then, you know, kind of like, you know, mid-credits or whatever, like, we see Sigourney Weaver as, like, a Holtzman's kind of a teacher. But, like, I, I liked all those uh, cameos. And, like, Dan Aykroyd, like, <laughs> I, I was kind of surprised he didn't, like, have a, a bottle of that Crystal Skull Vodka, he seems to, like, want to, like, you know, hawk and promote, like, all these, like, different videos and <laughs> movies and things lately. Like, uh, I, I'm kind of glad that, you know, that wasn't there because I, I can totally like, imagine him, like, being like, yeah, I'll, I'll play this cab driver, but, like, I'm going to I'm gonna be drinking this uh, Crystal Skull Vodka because, you know, like, I got to I gotta promote this. <laughs> yeah. Did it uh, – I don't know if I'm being, like, too super nerdy because I, I know I said I tried to flip a switch in my brain and turn all that stuff off, but – there, there was that weird part of me that was like the, the Sigourney Weaver cameo that you mentioned, you know, it's like, okay, obviously, you know, spoilers or whatever, but I mean, that's towards the end of the film and they've invented the containment unit. And it's like one of those things where it's almost like an after credit sequence in a way. And I'm kind of like, wait, so you mean they've had a Ghostbusters movie this whole time where they're out fighting ghosts, but they didn't have a containment unit. Like that kind of, yeah. that, that kind of, it seemed like one of those things where like they were remaking a film and, and it wasn't a case of a, you know, I guess the John Byrne syndrome where he, you know, he retold Superman's origin story with man of steel and he was so familiar with it. He stuck Krypton in the opening scene. It, 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 it It's almost the opposite of that. It's like, you're so familiar with it. It's like, yeah, yeah, everybody knows about a containment unit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, everybody knows about Krypton. And then you're kind of like, wait a minute. So you went through this whole movie and you never even, like, touched on Krypton? Like, that seems like a little, you know, like, isn't that the whole point is that they catch ghosts, you know? But then they didn't have a prison for them. Like, I I thought that was a little kind of, like, I mean, I get that they were trying to sort of slowly go into it. And, you know, they, they start out with, with PKE meters and, and, you know, it it looks a little different from the one from the film, but, you know, you get the idea when it starts really rotating, you know, really, really quickly and lighting up, you're like, Oh shit, that's when a ghost, you know, shows up and everything. And, and then, you know, you go to the different colleges and they've got the different setups and everything. And at first, you know, the, the proton pack is this ridiculous thing where it's like a, a, this gigantic, cannon and it's hooked up to this computer apparatus that they're rolling down in the middle of the subway station and you're like it's really unwieldy and they're you know Holtzman is slowly refining the technology and everything and so I like I get that and 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 they eventually you know make like a, a trap you know but it's like it seemed like somewhere between the trap and the end of the movie they never really you know like like I, I guess my my thing that I thought was kind of weird was you know, they, they have sort of the climactic showdown with all these ghosts and everything. And I'm like, what are they doing to the ghosts? Because they weren't really catching them. They just sort of were 
blasting them set to Ghostbusters music, you know? And I was kind of like, did they atomize them? Like, is it different? Like, that that's something that I didn't feel was sort of explained to my satisfaction. See, I, I liked all the scenes where they were improving and testing all the equipment because that's that's something we never saw in the original film. You know, in the original film, it's like we got a proton pack and we got the trap. We've never tested it. It could, it could explode. You know, don't cross the streams. That's pretty much all we get. So I, I really liked how they kept, like, tinkering with it and refining it. You know, it's, it's a work in progress. And it kind of – all the technology to me had, like, kind of a steampunk feel. And the the proton packs, they kind of reminded me of the Extreme Ghostbusters proton packs because they were kind of – they looked smaller and maybe lighter, you know, kind of like what they were using in that cartoon series. But, but yeah, like, after they caught that ghost at the Ozzy concert or whatever – and Bill Murray shows up and he wants to see it, I was like, okay, like, you've got the ghost in this little, like, you know, canister thing. Like, where's your containment unit? Like, you can't, like, you're just going to leave it in that thing, and then you're just going to have piles of these canisters? Like, you, you know, you need to, like, you need to put the ghost somewhere. You know, kind of like you said, I was like, at the end, it's like, it's like an afterthought. And at, at the big showdown, you know, kind of like you, I was like, well, what are they doing? Okay, they, they used, like, the, the wood chipper thing on that one ghost, and... You know, Melissa McCarthy was, like, punching him with the, the photon puncher thingy or whatever. And it's almost like, okay, and then they, they popped the balloon ghost, which I thought was kind of a cool sequence. But then it's like, but what do they do to him? Are they, like, dead dead? Like, really for real dead? Are they, like, you know, well, fractured? Like, it, 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 they didn't really explain it. it I was kind of confused it about it. It seems like they were dependent on the idea of, you know, what their ultimate solution was, which was to you know, reverse engineer, or I, I don't know how best to describe it, but basically they make this big sort of black hole for ghosts in the middle of New York, you know, and they reverse the polarity. So instead of yeah. spewing all the ghosts out into the atmosphere, they, they invert it so that it basically collects all of them and the, the portal collapses on itself, you know? And like, okay, that makes sense. But it's like, meanwhile, what were they doing for the last, you know, 50 minutes just looking cool set to music you know like it's kind of like it's i guess you know to me it's kind of like okay that's great like like you can do all the jackie chan kung fu you want but if your ultimate goal is to put a bullet in all those guys heads it doesn't matter how much cool you know backflips you do to like hit somebody in the face if your goal was to you know either capture them or eradicate them or wh whatever it is it's like well you got to have a jail cell right you know like th those kind of things so yeah there, there was that weird kind of disconnect I had. Can we talk about the idea that this ghost uh, infestation was kind of partially man-made? Like, that's something that's different from the original. Like, yeah. Like, because, that I mean, obviously the, the there is a villain in the piece. You know, it's like this kind of almost crazy, socially retarded, you know, outcast who, who basically, you know, kind of gives himself the, what, the Stuart small like you know self-affirmation stuff and he he basically uses he kind of reverse engineers their ghostbuster technology you know based on the book that melissa mccarthy and um uh who is it Kristen wig like no, the, the, she's aaron gilbert okay oh, so yeah. so a abby and aaron see I don't, I don't remember any of the names i gotta look these up so you'll forgive me but, but like, so you got Abby and Aaron, and they, they wrote a book together, and part of the, the quote-unquote comedy in the first 20 minutes that I didn't laugh at was that she writes a book with her friend, but she's trying to get tenure at this 
you know, uh, a privilege, or, uh, you know, she's trying to get tenure at this university, basically, and it's a really for reals university, basically. It's, it's someplace that would frown upon the idea of her believing that ghosts are real. But, you know, it's like, oh, Abby promised me she was never going to publish this book. But, of course, it's being published. One of the, the, the other staff members brings it to her attention, and that's why they reenact or re, re-encounter one another, because she's asking her to, you know, please stop selling this book, like, take it down from Amazon and all this other kind of stuff. And, like, there's even the guy who plays, uh, what's his face, uh, Lannister from Game of Thrones is, like, one of the... Oh, the, Charles Dance. Yeah, yeah, he's one of the professors there and stuff like that. I mean, you know, he's, he's a good actor, like, I mean, but it just, it, it was one of those things where you, you just got the idea, he was kind of like this you know, stuffy guy in his ivory tower that was, you know, basically, uh, you know, uh, an obstacle for her, like somebody who she had been sucking up to and trying to attain tenure at this university. And of course, you know, basically once it gets to the point where they go back to that haunted house and, and pull out that ghost and, and then she's on YouTube going, ghosts are real, you know, then of course she gets fired. And then, you know, it's this whole sequence of, I didn't get fired, you know, but I'm going to leave now. Goodbye. You know, stuff like that. And, and then, of course, she's forced to go to the the rinky-dink college, which they also get kicked out of. You know, so it's like this this whole kind of thing of they're, you know, they're, they're obviously the underdog in this situation for the most part. But then and then there's also like the weird notion of not only is this like a man-made ghost incursion from from this creepy guy who's who's, you know, used that book that they worked on together to reverse engineer all this stuff and make this weird plan where he's basically going to become... It's almost like he watched the original Ghostbusters movie and decided, I'm a social outcast. I'm this weird Columbine kid. Like, instead of picking up a gun and trying to, like, you know, shoot all my classmates, it's like, I'm going to become Gozer the Destroyer and, like, kill everybody in New York. I mean, that that's kind of the twisted mindset that the character seems to have. So like, and and that was kind of weird too, because I, like I said, I don't think that's ever been an aspect in anything I remember seeing in Ghostbusters. I mean, I haven't seen all the cartoons and read all the comics. So they, there may have been, you know, human kind of, you know, spiritual summonings in some of those, but I, I don't really recall anything like that, but I don't know. Do you like, any- well, there is like one of my favorite episodes is called Ragnarok and roll. And the basic plot is this guy is kind of like he's heartbroken. He's kind of like a like a hurt teenager, but he's like a, he's an adult. But he's he's basically he's turning his back on the whole world. He has like one friend who he treats like like Igor or you know like a hunchback assistant. And basically he's going to summon the end of the world because he because he's unhappy. He wants the world to be destroyed basically. And at the very end of the of the episode, like they find this girl that like he once loved, and she tries to talk to him. And his like his uh, hunchback friend has this like this really great speech at the end where he's like, you know, you know, you like you blame you know you blame the world for turning its 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 back on you, but you know, uh, you know, like you should, basically it's your own fault. Like you you you're, you're the one who gave up. Like we didn't give up on you. So like I. You're asking for like similar situations, like that's that's the prime one that springs to my mind. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, that's good because I, you know, some some stuff I'm not like I said I'm not as intimately familiar with the property and everything, but I I thought I mean at least in terms of the feature films, like that's that's sort of like a new wrinkle that they they tried to throw into it and stuff like that. And I thought I guess it, when he does become 
a ghost basically at that point. Like it, there, there was, you know, I think again, pointing to, uh, I guess my, um, praise of, of Chris Hemsworth, you know, like at that point he does possess Chris Hemsworth's body basically. And there are a lot of funny bits, you know, like where the guys, you know, kind of call him Clark Kent and he, he manhandles these security guards and everything, you know, and, and, you know, stuff that I just, I was kind of generally amused by. So I, I thought that was pretty funny as far as that goes. Like I was kind of amused by all those bits and stuff like that. What did you think of like the, the female Slimer? Like, did, did you think that was funny or were you like, no, it's too much. I don't know what I, like, honestly, <laughs> like by that point, there was so much sensory overload. It was just like, <laughs> I, I don't know that I gave a shit, you know, it was like, it was like one of those things where like, okay, I, I kind of wondered why he was there in the first place. Like, it, it just seemed like it was one of those things where if this is the multiverse, it's kind of like, oh, this is, uh, God, I don't, I don't know what a good comparison is, but if, if it's like the multiverse, you know, maybe there's some standard thing that's in all, you know, points of the multiverse. It's like, oh, there's there's always going to be a Slimer in, in all these Ghostbusters iterations or something like that. And it's like, okay, so Slimer was there. But then, like, they, they it, it was interesting how he, in some weird kind of warped way, also played a role in the climax of the film, yeah. like, unintentionally. Like, he helped save the day because, like, he basically, he commandeers the Ecto-1, which is a hearse, and and is rolling around in it. And then as Justin says, there's also happens to be a female Slimer riding shotgun with him. And it's like it's like he gets all his ghost buddies to go on a joy ride with him, basically. Like he's he's basically stolen this car and is, you know, going around creating havoc with it. And then, you know, inadvertently, like that car is set up with all this proton technology and stuff like that. And they decide, oh, well, that's how they basically reverse the polarity of the portal, they say, oh, well, what can do that? It's like a nuclear level explosion. It's like, well, we don't have anything like that. And then they go, well, yes, we do. You know, and it's like they zap the, the car and, you know, Slimer drives the car into the portal. And then, you know, basically they save the day and stuff like that. But I mean, to answer the question, like, I mean, I guess I, I don't know that I gave much thought to it. You know, it, it was just like it was just yet another kooky thing like does it water down Slimer yeah did it add anything to the movie no like I mean I, I think that's the part of my review that gets me into trouble you know what I mean like where it's like you know it kind of goes back to like is it great that there could be a female president like maybe you know d does it change the fact that there were like you know 40 something male presidents before her no, you know, like, so it's like, I don't know. It's like, it's like one of those things where I'm kind of like, okay, so there's a male Slimer and there's a female Slimer. Like, okay, great. Like, are you happy? Like that fix stuff for you? Is it good? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know that I care, you know, like, I, I, I mean, <laughs> like, I'm kind of indifferent to it. It's like, it didn't really have any effect on me one way or the other, other than, right. you know, like, was the female Slimer attractive? No. Did she eat and stuff her face just like the male Slimer? Yes. Are they equivalent and equal? Sort of. Like, I guess. I don't know. She wasn't driving. I don't know. You know, like, 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 <laughs> it, 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 I guess the, the other thing, too, is I guess you could point to, like, it's not like, you know, it's not like Harold Ramis, Bill Murray, you know, uh, Dan Aykroyd or um, Ernie Hudson were like outstanding, handsome, you know, super celebrity, you know, like, like, you know, 
matinee idols or anything. And and neither are, you know, Melissa McCarthy and 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 all these other chicks, you know, they're all they're all, you know, probably uh, you know, quote unquote accomplished comedians and stuff like that. You know, like so so you're like, okay, well that's that that's sort of in line with with the original film and stuff like that. So it's like, but you know, uh, on, on a flip side, I mean, I, I know lots of ladies like Chris Hemsworth and, and he's clearly put in the movie to be eye candy to, to the, the females that are coming in. Right. Like, you know, obviously like I found him hilarious, so it didn't matter to me one way or the other, you know what I mean? But I, I guess, you know, it, it, I guess it's all how you sort of take it. It's like, you know, what, what was the purpose of the female Slimer just, to have one, you know, just to balance out the Slimer scales? Like, I, I don't know. I, I asked you about it because I know, like, I saw some comments from people, even even people who liked the film, who were like, why was that in there? That, that was stupid. But, like, for me, like, it made me laugh. And the the thing it made me think of, like, the first thought that came to my head was, like, Muscle Men and Starla from Regular Show. So that's kind of what I saw them as. So that's, like, oh, okay. I, I, put, I put that on that, and I just, like, started laughing at it more. So. Okay, okay. But I can see that. That makes sense. But, but you know, kind of like you said, it's like as as far as for my you know final analysis or proclamation on the film, kind of like you, I'm like, it wasn't the greatest thing ever. It wasn't the worst. Um, you know, I came into it with a lot of enthusiasm. I was like, I hope this is good. I, you know, because I, I genuinely love Ghostbusters and and now it's you know different forms, video games, comics, cartoons, whatever. You know. Give it to me. I'll consume it. You know, like I said, I, I didn't think it was all that funny. And I agree with you that with the stuff about the bits. Like, I, I read somewhere, and I'm not sure if this is true, but I read somewhere that the actors were allowed to improvise a lot. And some of those imp- some of those improvisations, like, they were allowed to keep, even though they may not have, like, jived with the characters. Okay. So, like, and, you know, the... The thing where where they got fired and the guy kept flipping them off, like yeah. I was like I was like that's the moment where I was like okay this guy is totally doing a bit and it's not funny. Well, like, just, yeah, and, and it was almost like no. he wasn't like I think that's part of the problem. It's like if if you improv something but yet the the person on the other end of the scene or camera doesn't isn't part of that like somehow like there it's almost like there's an instant disconnect. It's kind of like if I start you know, I don't know, doing, doing a bit with you, but you can't hear me. And we're both on camera. You know, it's like one of those things where I'm doing my flip you off bit and you don't realize I'm flipping you off or, or, or I don't know. Are you flipping me off right now? Yeah. It's just like, you know, like that, no, no, but that's the thing. Like, see, you couldn't tell. Right. So like, how, how would you know? And then I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, but, but that's that's like the the thing that like like that bit was so strange and like it, it's like one of those things where like one like to me it just wasn't funny you know like I, I had that like carnage moment where I was like you know clowning Spider Man going dude Snacky you're just unfunny you know like because there there were moments like that where I was just like that didn't work for me I mean but maybe I don't know like for some people it's like you know it's like it's like I guess it's like fart jokes right or like you know poop jokes or whatever like for some people it's like to them it's like hilarious and to me I'm like oh I think that's kind of gross you know like so I guess I guess it, it it's 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 incumbent on the sensibility of of the the each individual you know, to to each his own personal 
taste and merits and, and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, you know. Speaking of stuff like that, like I, I did listen to part of a, a a podcast where like Kevin Smith was singing this this film's praises. So like that, you know, there you go. Like that's the that's the, <laughs> that's the dick and fart joke. Back <laughs> the the guy who makes the the Cthulhu shit monster from the toilet, yeah. right? So so if it's yeah yeah so. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's interesting because there there are those people that you know. Uh, you know, it seemed to have a lot of fun with it and sing its praises. And then, you know, I, I don't know that there's, yeah, I, I kind of wonder if there's people who, who totally rag on it that have actually seen it. Like, cause I don't, I don't know. Like, you know, I, I haven't been really paying attention to all the, the criticism and, and that kind of thing. Like, you know, whether there's been like really some, some kind of backlash, like it seems like, I don't know, like if it's just a big spin or whatever, but it seems like a lot of the stuff I've read had been, embarrassingly positive you know what i mean as to avoid the the wrath of the the gigantic you know politically correct cthulhu demon or whatever you know what i mean like just just to not get lambasted or or chastised for for you know just giving a you know a, a brutally honest opinion you know it's like it just seems like oh this is the greatest thing ever you know and then that was the end of the the review pretty much but well uh, i'm just glad that you know it it wasn't a huge like misfire on all like levels. Like I'm, I'm glad that you like, you know, didn't come out of that, you know, and being like, man, I'm never gonna like watch anything else Justin wants to again. Like the no, whole like don't no, no. try and watch wrestling. No, or... no, it's it's not like that at all. Like I mean, all I'd say is I'm not gonna buy this on Blu-ray or DVD. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. watch it again. Like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like right. I but. You know, I guess what I'd ask you, though, is I'm curious, like, is that something that you would do? Like, are you, do you want sequels? Like, or or what about all this talk I'm hearing about how if this didn't work out, they were going to do some kind of film with, like, Chris Pratt and I forget who else they said. Like, they have, have like, like, tandem Ghostbusters revivals with different sets of characters. Like, is that anything that you've still heard about or whatever? It sort of confused me, but I don't know. The the last thing I heard was that they were gonna try and do an animated series, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't know if it's gonna be like the female Ghostbusters, uh, another group, or if they're gonna go back to like you know the you know the, the classic guys. Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. I've heard it to say real Ghostbusters, but you know you know I'll just say classic. But it's like as far as the film, like would I buy it? Probably, but but you know I have all the other stuff, so like I I kind of feel like you know. Like I need to add it to the rest of them. Right. Like right. I, okay. I would prefer to find it at Walmart, at like you know, in, in the ten dollar bin or something. But um, as far as sequels, like I read that they're gonna go ahead and make a sequel. I don't know if they're actually going to because it's it's kind of like you know, it's like you know the last year the Fantastic Four film was such a disappointment, and they kept saying, oh no, we're we're totally gonna make another sequel. And I'm like, I don't think you're really gonna do that, but you know, it, it lost a lot of money. It was horrible. Do I want a sequel? Like. Sure, like I, I would go watch it. Would I watch, you know, uh, a totally different film with, you know, Chris Pratt and like a bunch of other like guys? Like, sure, like like I said, put Ghostbusters on it and like I'll watch it. Like that's <laughs> that's pretty much my take on it. Yeah, no, no, I, I I sort of understood and appreciated that going into this, so that was never uh, a sticking point with me. Like, you know, what's weird though? I I do feel like there is some disparity in terms of maybe like merchandising because there there was that moment before the movie hit 
where I saw all these photos from like people, like real people, and then I, I walked into stores like Target myself and saw the Mattel action figures of just the girls on clearance, which to most people in retail would mean that they're not selling, they're afraid right. they won't sell, they want to move them so they put them on clearance. But yet, I think maybe like not a week after I saw the film, I saw some article, not from real people, not with photos and evidence, you know, not, not with what I saw with my own eyes, which was these figures were on clearance, like people were afraid they weren't going to sell. You know, they wanted them to move, but they knew they had to lower the price to get that to happen. But then there were other articles kind of going, oh, man, since the new film came out, man, Ghostbusters merchandise is through the roof. And I just kind of went, really? Because that's not what it seemed like, you know, like going into this. See, see, like I would question, like, what do you mean exactly by merchandise? Because there's tons of Ghostbusters merchandise. Do you mean like overall like everything that falls under the Ghostbusters name is selling well, or do you mean like, you know, like which, which uh, side of the, the films are you talking about? Are you talking right, about the classic right. merchandise or the new merchandise? Like that's, like that's what I would question and would like to see like statistics on if they have such a thing. Yeah, it just to, to me it seemed like those kind of articles seem so vague and without facts. Yeah. It was just kind of like, oh no, everything's great now. You know, like <laughs> it seemed more like yeah. a puff piece where it's like, oh, you know, all that Clarence stuff that you saw that wasn't selling for shit? Uh, no, 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 it's great now. Now everybody's <laughs> buying it. You know, like it just seemed like a spin, you know, and and, yeah. and, and you know, I mean, you know, I, I'm just kind of reporting what I've seen with my eyes and, and, you know, just the fact that, you know, I've walked into stores and saw the, the female figures on Clarence. I've seen Tom Tons of people on Facebook basically posting the same thing and going, oh, geez, I hope that that doesn't mean, you know, uh, owed bad tidings for, for the film and, and how it's going to do and all that other stuff, you know. So it's like, you know, and, and, and not people that are being nasty about it, but just kind of realizing what that means in a grand scheme of things, you know what I mean? But, you know, I mean, if it, I, I guess all I'd say is if people get a kick out of it and they enjoyed it, like, that's great. Like, I, I think I think it was OK. You know, it wasn't. Like I said, it wasn't it wasn't anything that I think is going to set the world on fire. It's not going to change your goddamn life, you know. But again, <laughs> it, it's it, it's not going to change your life. It's not the worst thing you've ever seen. It's not going to ruin any original fond memories you have of the original film. I mean, for me, I gotta kind of be honest. I mean, I like the first Ghostbusters movie. You know, I fucking hate the second one. You know, I I, I think I think my my most fond nostalgic memories are waking up on Saturday morning and watching the real Ghostbusters cartoon. And to be perfectly honest, I think reading an article from Harold Ramis's daughter put that in perspective for me because she wrote, I guess, this nice positive kind of, you know, promotional piece regarding the film and how maybe it was tough to get her head around the idea that there was going to be a new Ghostbusters movie and it wasn't going to involve her father who had passed away. And and she wrote a really, really nice article about all that kind of stuff. And I, what part of the article I thought was really interesting that spoke to me was to her, that real Ghostbusters cartoon even tread that line because she's like, this blonde guy who's skinny is not my father, mm -hmm. you know, like, like, and, and she's like, 
didn't you see the way they changed you on the cartoon, Dad? And, you know, Harold Ramis is just kind of like, that's, you know, it's marketing, it's a character, like, that's how they do these things. Like, you know, I wouldn't take offense to it, honey. Like, that. that's basically the way the article read, you know? And, and, and for me, what it put in perspective to me was the, that version that she wasn't too fond of was the version that is the most familiar and, and, and has the most nostalgic good memories for me. So if that's the case, you know, obviously, like, I'm kind of a layer removed from it as well. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I like a version that's not the quote-unquote pure original film also. You know, so it's like, if, if you appreciate this new version, like, that's great. If not, you don't have to watch it, you know, just, just you know, that, that can be another one of those things you file away like I do, where I've never seen uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull or... King Kong, Peter Jackson, or, you know, whatever it is, like, I've just never bothered to watch it, you know, or or the Michael Bay Transformers films, it's just I haven't seen them, you know, like, I just don't feel like watching them. This may have been one of those movies, like, if it had not been for your suggestion to do this, but I'm not, I'm not, like, all grumpy that I saw it or anything. That's good, and I I hope you're not, like, flipping me off right now over it secretly. (laughs) I'd have to be, like, super obvious and obnoxious and (laughs) wouldn't really be funny at all and no one would be laughing so but you know hopefully people are and and i'm not obnoxious so all right well i mean i guess unless you have any final thoughts i guess we can go into awesome thing of the week so i'll 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 start first with my awesome thing of the week i did receive a case of marvel legends from dorkside toys this week and it was pretty cool it's got all eight of the crazy Apology X-Men figures and the Build-A-Figures Juggernaut. And I took some photos and put them up on Bot Talk and Action Figure Blues in a couple places. But, yeah, I mean, they're, they're fun. I mean, for Apology figures, like, I, I think the, the Wolverine is pretty cool. I, 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 I'm kind of getting used to the, the, the cable is kind of, you know, uh, you know impress on me and stuff like that and you know the deadpool's obviously cool it comes with a bunch of different accessories and stuff like that and i i, I was having fun you know putting the the, the the for really reels onslaught head on that red onslaught red skull onslaught version that came back a little while back and stuff like that so you know and, and then i think my favorite thing to do was and i sort of had this in my head the minute i i knew i was going to get those figures was the the kitty pride apology figure you know, looks a lot more like the current version of Kitty Pride in the comics. So I was like, oh, well, I'm going to have the my Star-Lord figure, like, proposed to her or some crap like that, because that was the first thing I thought of. So I made, like, a little photo of that. And, you know, it was like, I, I, I thought it was pretty cool and stuff. Um, I also, you know, I guess, I guess I've got two things, um, or, or multiple things, but since we're doing a proper show, I'll, I'll mention some of them as well. But also, um, I did get some new figure arts stuff that I ordered from Mandarake. The new Overlord, Lord Baron, came out this month, and so I do have the Lord Baron, so that completes all my Kaito, Kamen Rider Gaim, Baron collection, you know, for that part of it. So I've got all the versions of Baron now, his final form, for anybody who isn't familiar with the show. And, of course, that's something me and Tony discuss on Toku Thursdays, so if you like that kind of stuff, uh, be sure to check out those podcasts. And I also got the bike for Common Rider Mock. So now I've got the figure and his bike. So I feel fairly complete. You know, you got got to have the bike. So 
I, you know, so those are, those are my, my series of awesome things that came in this week that I wanted to share with the class. But what, what about you, Justin? What's your awesome thing this week? My awesome thing is a film. Um, I watched the Legend of Tarzan film, and I really like it. You know, I mentioned before on this podcast, I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, pulp heroes and especially uh, the works of Edgar Rice Burroughs. And I really liked it. It's they they treated everything in the film in a very serious manner, you know, because if, you know, sometimes I guess you could totally do the, the whole like, it, you know, it's cheesy to have a guy like swinging on vines and talking to gorillas or whatnot. And there have been quite a few cheesy Tarzan films in the past, but like, no, this this one totally treats it with respect and it doesn't ever come across as being cheesy or, or lame or hammy. Um, it's a really good film. It's really solid. The the only minor like little quibble I have is Samuel Jackson is in it. And sometimes he acts like someone should in, you know, eighteen eighty eight. And sometimes he's totally Sam Jackson, you know, he's like totally <laughs> Sam Jackson the hell out of it. Like kinda like that kind of like took me out of it. I know, I know that was the first thing I asked you because I, I, you know, I, I sort of, I, I guess this kind of went by me unnoticed almost because I, I think I, I sort of forgot that a new Tarzan movie was coming out, and then I think I, I, and to be honest, I rarely, rarely watch like network television in real time, but since the Iron Blooded Orphan stuff was premiering right around when Tarzan was coming out, like I actually saw a couple Tarzan commercials when I was watching that on Cartoon Network. And it, it, it was one of those things where I was like, that that was one of the first things I asked you was, I was like, is Sam Jackson like really Sam Jackson-y in this? Or like, <laughs> did, that, did that mess up the, the whole Tarzan vibe or not? And it sounds like, like you kind of went back and forth where like there, there are scenes where everything seemed like, okay, this, this is good. I'm going along with it. But maybe every once in a while there was a scene where you went, hey, this is kind of, kind of out there for for the you know the era in which the film is supposed to take place but but other than a couple of moments with him like you know being himself like it's it's really good film it's really solid and hopefully um hopefully it makes enough that they'll do a sequel because uh, i really i really liked it and i think i think all the actors did a really good job you know we um margot robbie who will we'll soon see that we will soon be seeing as harley quinn like she did a really good uh she did a really good job with jane as the, in, in this film i really liked her Cool, cool. What do you, I mean in terms of like the original Edgar Rice Burroughs stuff? I mean, is this more along the lines of you know Tarzan who speaks English and goes to the center of the earth and stuff like that, or is this is this still somewhere in between that and like a lot of the film versions of Tarzan where he's he's more of a you know kind of grunty ape man, me Tarzan, you Jane guy? Like, is it somewhere in between that? No, this this is totally like more in line with the uh, with the novels were. You know, once he leaves uh, the jungle, he he becomes civilized. You know, he's he's the lord of like you know Greystoke. He's basically um, he's basically like a baron in charge of a huge estate, and he has all these people who kind of like you know all these people kind of like want his favor. You know, they want him to like yeah, they basically want him in their pocket to like you know ha have some kind of like sway or something. And he he speaks perfect English. There's no like you know there's no grunting you know me Tarzan you Jane. They do kind of like make a joke out of that in the film, like and and it's a Sam Jackson joke too. So, um, but, all, but, me Tarzan you <laughs> Jane motherfucker. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like I said, it's um it's more of a serious thing, and it follows more it's it follows more along the books than the I guess like the the earlier like Johnny Weissmuller films. Cool, cool. Are you a 
awesome thing is that I, I'm the stupid duty head. Right. So that looks like it wraps up Justin and Mai's awesome thing of the week. If you've enjoyed listening to this Fan Holes proper show, of course, if you have any comments, questions, and or concerns, if you think I'm a big duty head like Mike for my thoughts on the <laughs> Ghostbusters 2016 film, or you want to send us some comments on our thoughts on Extreme Ghostbusters, you can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We... Of course, appreciate all the likes and feedback that we get on all kinds of social media, Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. We can be streamed on Stitcher Radio, and we are on iTunes, so we would appreciate any iTunes reviews that you leave. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, where is my containment unit, signing off. And this is Justin. Something strange in your neighborhood. Who you gonna call? If it's something weird and it don't look good, who you gonna call? That's right. What if what if they made Sam Hame, but Sam Hame was like a girl? Like Samantha it'd be like a, Hame. Samantha Hame. She could have like a pumpkin head. She can have like funny like rainbow colored wig and boobs. Like, would that work? Like, it, so, get on it, Larry. It's brilliant, Larry. Samantha Hame. Yeah. Okay. That that sounds like a Disney show or something. Samantha Hame coming to <laughs> coming to the Disney Channel. He's Four washed-up comedians who hunt ghosts make fun of her every week, but she fights back, calling up all the lords of the underworld to make their life a living hell. Coming to the Disney Channel this fall. It's funny, like, you know, like most people say, like, they enjoyed Chris Hemsworth, but, like, a friend at work was like, man, that guy was, like, too dumb to live, like, in that in that, that uh, movie. We'll see, and then, and then again, he's actually acting and doing his job, because yeah. your friend actually thought he was that dumb. Yeah. Like, he, he thought he was so dumb. That I was like, I thought that was, yeah, I was kind of that, like, that, that, that's, that's what that's, he was going for. But. That That's the whole joke, like, I mean... It's, it's that's the joke. That's the joke. That is the joke.